Hey, dentisting friends, this is Dr. Nacho. I'm so excited to be doing the Dental Nacho Supreme CE coming up soon. It is going to be 24 hours of live streamed virtual CE brought to you on your couch when you watch live. It counts as live. Miss an episode. It's going to be up in the group for the entire year. To learn more about this awesome opportunity, reach out to us at dentalnachos.com or email supreme at dentalnachos.com. My number one amigo, Rob, is going to be one of the uh, presenters for the Dental Nacho Supreme. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. It's going to be CE brought to you on your couch. Don't miss out. Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are The Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery. I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be here socially distanced from you. Yeah, welcome to another episode of the Dental Amigos. And unfortunately, this is the the fourth social distance episode that we're doing, Paul. It's uh, April 8th, 2020. Uh, Unfortunately, probably not the last social distance podcast we're going to do. We probably have about three or so, at least more, left in us. And... uh, Possibly once the social distancing ends, we might be a little busy in the in the short term. Uh, so we might have to take a little podcast break. We'll see. Hopefully we'll be so lucky. Uh, but, uh, you know, things are, are strange uh, and continue to be. I feel like we're starting to settle in a little bit more to the, uh, the new normal. Um, I agree. And, you know, what was sort of like the absolute craziness and the unknown the first few weeks we started doing this is starting to settle into a... Uh, a more uh, nor the new normal, I guess, for for better or for worse. Um, I mean, I feel like you know, I just uh, I had I was on, I had a good guest the other uh, day on Nacho Talk, Dr. Stephanie Zeller. We talked about the coronavirus routines, and you know, I, I've developed my own routines. You know, whether now I'm taking one 18 month old for the first hour of the day because the other one's on Zoom school stuff. I didn't think I'd be saying a month ago. I, I do look for the bright spots in it. I get to spend a lot of time with my family, so that's good. Uh, there can't be such thing as too much time, but you know, uh, we've been uh, managing here at the Goodman household. You, you have a household filled with uh, more, um, what should I say, uh, beings that could take care of themselves better. So, yeah, but animals too. I've got yes, uh, Louis Armstrong, the cat here, is probably going to make a special guest appearance. Oh, nice. Uh, he just knocked my monitor. And uh, <laughs> once Luna the dog realizes that Louis's up here, we're going to have uh, a dog uh, as company as well. Uh, but I think that's uh, generally accepted these days. Oh, yeah, it's great. It's, it's a crowd pleaser when the, when the pets come on. <laughs> so uh, second installment of our dental world post-COVID-19, in which uh, we have asked dental industry thought leaders to share their thoughts and insights into where they see the dental business world going post-COVID and the things that dentists uh, should be thinking about and doing to prepare themselves for what's to come. You know, And I think this uh, grew out of what has become my sort of the tedium of dealing with the day to day. You know, I'm kind of excited to let's talk about the future and what people need to be doing to move forward. And uh, hopefully that's going to cheer us up and change our mindset a little bit and uh, get us doing some productive things and maybe worry a little bit less and, uh, and plan a little bit more. And uh, 
for folks who missed last week's episode with Dr. David Phelps, Jamie Amos, Jonathan Van Horn, Dr. Desiree Yazdan, and Dr. Sonny Pahuja, you know, be sure to check out that show. It's episode 66 of the Dental Amigos, and it can be found at all the uh, usual podcast places, iTunes, Google Play, uh, where else are we? Our Sound website, style. dentalamigos.com. And, yeah, the dentalamigos.com. My aunt has uh, that bookmarked at all times. My aunt will have that bookmark in case you know. She's our number one fan since all 66 episodes. So that, that's why we have uh, the, the good numbers that we have. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Over you over. listen a thousand times each episode. <laughs> yeah, I thought we had more fans, Paul. <laughs> deflating. Yeah. Uh, and so today uh, we have another absolute all-star lineup of dental industry leaders who are going to talk about what they think the dental profession is going to look like. And uh, so the lineup for today, uh, none of these people really need introduction, but I'm going to give them a brief intro anyway. We're going to kick it off with, uh, Kirk ben- Benrett, um, the founder and CEO of Act Dental, a dental consulting firm that works with dentists around the world on how to create a better practice and a better life. Then we're going to have Colin Carr, founder and CEO of Carr Healthcare Realty, a commercial real estate firm that specializes in tenant and buyer representation for its healthcare clients around the country, mostly uh, dental. Uh, Alistair McDonald, who's a private advisor to established entrepreneurs, investors, and business owners. Uh, a TED Talk speaker who lectures and presents his economic and social market and financial forecasts to private equity, hedge funds, endowments, entrepreneurs, and large investors across the U.S. And then we're going to wrap it up with Vivek Kindra, the CEO of PPO Profits, a firm solely dedicated to increasing the PPO insurance reimbursements for dentists. So uh, without further ado, uh, let's get Going with uh, with Kirk, our first guest. Welcome, amigo, and thanks for being on the show. Hey, well, I'm excited to be a Nacho man. I love I didn't I love your name, Paul. I love the community you're bringing together. I love you. I've only I, I mean, I think one of the cool things that's coming out of this is there are so many people that I haven't known or have gotten to know that I'm like I like this guy. And yeah, I appreciate as as I had you on ours. Leanne's like, let's get the Nacho guy, and I'm like, who the hell's the Nacho guy? Yeah, that. I'm glad. I love connecting with people. What you guys are doing is awesome. Just share for me before you ask your questions. How many hours of C have you guys delivered through ACT? Uh, this is your third week of doing this? Yeah, we're on week four. And, um, you know, we don't – I'm not a smart guy, Paul. I do, we don't bring much to the table other than we're, we're – I mean, we're coaches. We love what we do, and um, we speak, and education's our game. So I'm passionate about this industry. I mean, it's a very noble industry. Dentistry's awesome. And so when this all happened, you know, I – didn't really even know what to do other than I, we've got a ton of friends on my phone. I probably have about 120 speakers that I see on the road, hang out, drink a lot of bourbon with. And I'm like, all right, well, what do you guys want to do? We're all sitting on our hands. Let's do something. And so we just started with a three-day effort. And you were part of that. And I'm right. like, we'll see where it goes. Well, 10,000 people signed up for it. And I was like, holy moly. And so I'm like, all right, what about next week? But my team was like, we're not doing nine hours a day. I'm like, <laughs> Why I lean to the extreme. I'm like, we're gonna build a mountain. They're like, no, let's build a hill first. And so we we lightened it to five hours so we could actually get something done and have a brain when we were done. But you know, now the schedule's booked out two weeks and we're just we we're just trying to bring the community together. I don't have any answers. You know, I've got a couple thoughts on where this might go, but like it's really cool to watch some of the best people get together. Dentistry will get through this. I like that. We will all get through this. It's just, uh, and it's a, it's a very communal 
very cool group. And um, I just believe in it so much. Of all the things I could have done in my life, I, I lucked out. God was good to me. I found a great thing called dentistry. And I'm, I'm just sitting here in a position of gratitude. I mean, it sucks because I'm a control freak. I mean, I, and there's things I can't control. My wife reminds me, you can't control this. And I'm like, mm. yeah. So um, I don't know. I'm just trying to be patient like you guys, but also keep the hope alive. You know, I think that's there's great, one that's thing. great attitude. And yeah, thanks for sharing. The more we share in this community and what you guys are doing with your uh, C marathons are awesome. They're, they're really great. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I love your BCB. I mean, how much time you got? We're like together. We're, we're similar. So Rob is like having to me. So he's the organized guy. So he keeps yeah. all the questions. I'm just here for the color commentary. Okay, nice color I only, I, yeah, I only have two slides, but I could talk for two hours. So you're going to have to go, whoa, 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 enough ball guys. Shut up. Like you just <laughs> tell Kurt, me. Yeah. Well, definitely. We'll have you back on the show for a, for a full episode. But today, you know, what we're looking for from our guests is just some things that they think yep. about. Uh, that they want to share with dentists about changes that they see in the dental industry and what things people should be prepared for and start to think about uh, after we get through this uh, this pandemic and, and everybody starts to get back to work and open their practices. For sure. And Paul, I'm just going to piggyback on what you said. Can I, can I show one uh, slide here? I'm going to show um, one thing if that's all right. So sure. Um, is this, is that you know, while while Green, a great dentist, showed this graphic, and Paul, it fits perfectly. You said BCB, PCB, and ACB. So everybody's got their, uh, you know, dentists like a little bit of methodology behind this, but I think Wael said it best. And when he showed this graphic, I was like, holy crap, that's spot on. He described three, you know, zero to three, which means we had this thing we were doing beforehand. It was fairly predictable. And then there was a certain point where the bottom dropped out and that was right around March 18th. And this graphic is really important because if you're a dentist watching this and I give Wael the credit for this, he said, one of the things that you have to do is really help your team understand that we went from a place to a place we've never been. There's no income coming in other than receivables and hopeful things that we might, you know, count on a little bit for uh, help, but it's a whole way new, new normal. And um, there's going to be a point where even when your governor says you can go back to work, it's not going to be like we're back to phase zero again. There's going to be a climb. And so a lot of this is hypothetical. And so, Paul, I think you're, this is all spot on. I think his timeline is a little bit off because we can only guess. And our job is just to keep the hope alive. But there's a good chance, depending on you know, how the world works together before we're actually able back to go back to work. Who knows when that'll be? Now, the other thing that's going to be interesting is that when you go back to work, there's a new normal. And here's one of the things that I'm going to ask you to do as a dentist, if you're watching, I mean, you've got to form committees. I think right now, if you've got a team, you have to have a committee. And one of the committees you have to have is an infection control peace of mind committee, which is a team member who is responsible for Very passionate communicate. about that. Yes. Because your patients are going to come to you and go, Paul, this is an aerosol thing and your team members, big or small, as far as your team goes, have to say, we know exactly what you're talking about. We're three steps ahead of you. Mrs. Jones, peace of mind is critically important. And I want, I want to pause you for a second, Kirk, because that's such great insight. We've had Linda Harvey on the show and I have some passions in life, nachos, um, making people crazy around me and infection control. So those three things I'm good at. And there are some things that I just want to share, which people can use during this PCV to work on because you were supposed to have an infection control officer prior to the coronavirus crisis. So this wasn't a new thing that right. you should have, but now it's an opportunity, an opportunity to maybe catch up 
on stuff that's challenging to put into place and utilize people to help you. So really great insight there. Right. And I don't know if I got this word from you or somebody else, but we like the word champion. So I, we sat, we sit around, we do a pre-day huddle and the post-day huddle and we have champions. So you're the champion for this. You're the champion for this. It clearly describes that's the person that has to champion the concept. So Paul, I agree. Infection control. Another one is going to be retention champion. You know, your practice, if you got three hygienists, they should be calling patients every day. Even if it's for a half an hour a day, just say, Mrs. Jones, doing two things. Number one, I'm thinking about you, Mrs. Jones. Number two, we care. You can't promise them anything. You don't even know when you're going to go back to work, but a big piece of your practice and how valuable it is, it's called retention. I'm an Invisalign patient. My orthodontist has called me twice in the last two weeks. Now I know why he's doing it. Hey, your trays are in. You want to come by? You want me to mail? Now he has to do that because he's just letting me know. I'm thinking about you. I'll get you the trays. He also is found a way to keep the keep the revenue going in that respect. So I think more than anything, not showing up as a leader is fatal. You have to, you know, you and have strategies. To. And this is great. Uh, Rob, you're, we're the down people. When, when, the, when the least people are on, I'll just open up this, uh, Rob, for my segment. But I have my the topic of my email, Kirk, which I wanted to bring up was uh, what, you know, I'm into creative problem solving, you know, creative solutions. So I love your graph here and what's going to happen when we reopen and it's going to be different than before. How many people can be in the office? What can we do? So one of the ideas that I have was to make a no drill exam day where we just bring in people for exams. We pick a cost and we just, it's a, it's an extension of the checking in, come in, let's take some intro photos, some x-rays. Let's look at your mouth. I mean, um, we may have had a three month break from care. I mean, a whole quarter. So it's totally appropriate to bring people in, maybe have a set fee or small fee and just say, hey, and we're not going to, you know, dentists are getting a little bit notch or nuts about this. Everything we know, we don't have to share directly. But if we're doing something where we know we're not going to create aerosols, we're not going to create that noise of the drill. And I, someone like this, I called it a calm dentisting library day. And they said, I want to have one of those days. And maybe that's just good for everybody. Come in, look in people's mouths, take some photographs, to look at their teeth and just and make a plan and then do the plan later, but make the plan. That's just an idea that I had in this getting up back up to speed. Yeah, and you're gonna have to get creative. The cool part about a community, I just heard about one of this today with a fee-for-service dentist out in Arizona who doesn't take a dime of insurance said, look, first thing I did was I notified all pet patients that had balances, waved them just as a, we're thinking about you because he knew on the other side of this, it's gonna be a whole new normal. So if you're not participating in insurance, you know, we're going to have to get crazy creative. Now, some of you might watch this and go, that's not a great idea. But he was of the mind, hey, I got to keep patients. I don't need that cash that they owed me. I need future patients in this whole yep. process. So, Paul, there's no rules here. Right, very think, true. You know, you're, you're, we're all going to have to figure this out. And I don't think people are going to be racing back the second. I live in Wisconsin. The day our governor lets us go outside, nobody here is going to be like, man, I got to get that crown yeah. up. You it's going to be like Outback. No rules. Just right. That's, a, that's our new thing here. Outback Dentistry. Outback Steakhouse Dentistry. But in that downtime, I mean, there's a lot of downtime systems here. Here's one thing I would say. This is a huge opportunity. Paul, you mentioned your daughter. I spend more time with my – I've watched so many movies in the last few days. It's time. You can't say I don't have time for that anymore. That's just blasphemy. And there are things that you've tried to do but you didn't have time for, like redefine your new patient system, get your financial arrangements right. This is a great opportunity for an hour a day, two hours a day, while the airplane is on the ground. 
give it great maintenance before it flies again. Do you know what I mean? And that's a great way to look at it before we're up and running again and on the other side. So um, those are just some pe- I mean, I could talk for days on all this stuff, but how much, I mean, so Rob, Rob will jump in there. For people that are listening to the podcast, we'll get uh, uh, Kirk's uh, 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 slides up on the on the show notes, but yeah. Kirk basically is showing us what is a, a graph of going from the normal down to nothing for a, you know a several week, uh, actually almost a seven week period before things start to gradually ramp up, starting in the middle of May into July thirty first. He has where things kind of return to where they were pre uh, pre COVID, but we'll, we'll get that up on the show notes for folks. Yeah, I'm happy to give you guys all this, just take it all. And then we actually, we've, we've probably spent four solid weeks developing. Now this isn't all our information. I've been taking ADAs, Kane Waters, all the best information and just putting it into one document. And we call it the ultimate road set. And it's just like dentists love checklists. And so Paul, I've got my Facebook group, yours, you know, you know, when you look at a Facebook group, you're like, oh gosh, where's that document? Well, it's in the ocean of the, you know, yeah, so yeah. I, and I love it. I love checking boxes so you can have it for free. I mean, if That's you want awesome. and I'll send you information and join us over there. But one other thing I'm going to encourage you to do, this is a to do is that we've been having mental health experts as a regular guest. And it is true. This is a very important thing. And when you look at CNN too much, you become a lightning rod for a lot of negative things. And you and I were talking about this, Rob, beforehand, but like you can get yourself pretty ill in these. And so last Thursday, I'll tell you, I wasn't the best husband. I went downstairs. My wife had dinner ready and she did one of these. Why don't you just go to bed? Have you ever gotten that one, Paul? Like just just get out of here, you know? And so I went to a spare bedroom that didn't have a TV, had nothing. I read a book. Here was the book I read. Highly recommend it. It's called Make Your Bed by a Navy SEAL. It's phenomenal. It took me two hours to read. You could read it in an hour because I'm not the best reader. And I stayed away from a TV for 12 hours. I woke up. I took the dogs for a walk. I felt like a new human being. So we call it the 12 hour intermittent fast screen challenge. One day a week, get away from screen, go for a walk, stay away from a screen for 12 hours. I challenge you to do it. I like the old fashioned books. I bought books. I like that challenge a lot. That's good. Yeah. And then I'll just, you know, if you want the roadmap, you guys are, I'm happy to you can text roadmap to 833 eight six eight and then come over and watch us on the podcast you'll see paul we've had him twice we're gonna have him three times we'll have him four times i'll keep having the nacho guy back until this thing ends and add some uh add some wisdom to uh to the whole thing but that's i mean that's all i could talk for four more hours but i want to be respective and just kind of open up for any questions yeah sure rob has some listed here i'll let rob take over it's a few questions there yeah, I know. I think Kirk you, you really is covering all this stuff, you know, and I think, thank you. And we'll be sure to get that info up on the uh, the show notes too, for people to get the, uh, to get the roadmap. But Kirk, I, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, you need to, to take a break from information and from the media. And, you know, I have a little different perspective than this. Sometimes Paul and I debate without sharing the, the ins and outs of that. But I mean, it's, we are, uh, to some extent, we're manipulated by the information and what people want us to, to do and hear. And uh, I think it's entirely healthy to, uh, to check out. There's no, you know, minute to minute news cycle that's ever good for anybody's mental health. And, yeah. you know, as much as, you know, it's important to stay in touch now, nobody needs to know what's going on every single minute of the day. And, 
you know, and I think it's important to, to take, take those mental breaks and, and spend time. In that, Robin, Kurt, it's important. It's also, I'm someone who does sometimes will get sucked in after the moderators go to bed, but you don't even know what's important. It's all, it's hard to determine what's even important. Like I'm kind of waiting for some information that maybe I could act on, right? Like we're allowed to go out. Rob posted today something from, I enjoyed that because it seemed to have a date attached to it of yeah. April 29th. But I'm trying to be a good citizen, not even a good dentist, but just a good citizen and at least be attuned as to what these next steps are. But it can drive you nacho nuts trying to keep up with it. Yeah, yeah. But no doubt. I mean, I, I, you know, I love my in-laws, but you know, if, I, if I go and visit them, you know, they're watching a certain news channel all day, every day. And I'll say, do you know what happened today? I would say, I'm pretty sure not much. This is pre-COVID, you know? Okay. Um, you know, but, but the world that, that they've been exposed to is, you know, it's, it's tough, you know, and, and there's a lot of just really negative things that are being reported. This is a horrible crisis that we're dealing with. But, um, you know, there's also a lot of things that you have no control over. And, you know, just giving yourself a steady diet of that is not, uh, is not healthy. Right. I've seen, I've seen this, I've seen this version and it kind of brings me back to my childhood, you know, the, those yellow cliff notes books. I actually, I actually like those for certain things. I wish they just had the Cliff Notes news. I know there's some emails that claim to do that. But I wish someone said, in four minutes, I've done it. And here are the things. And I mean, I would watch that guy or that or that girl because I need like the Cliff Notes version of the news. But I think you guys are right, especially with your, your great graph or your great line there. I think well, there's Kirk, gonna, I, I actually have a question. Uh, I actually have a question for Kirk. So on your graph, you have things returning to somewhat normal in, uh, I believe it was at the middle of July uh, or the end of July this year. Uh, I, just curious, you know, um, it, what's, what's your uh, basis for it? I like the optimism. I hope that's the case. Uh, but so this, now I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna be crazy vulnerable and transparent with you. My team about stabbed me in the neck virtually when I was telling people when I thought they were gonna go back. And I don't know if I should be able to say that, but I'll be honest with you. I mean, I talked to the world's you know, dentistry's top microbiologists, infection control experts, and I'll just share this with you one thought. I think it's our job to keep the optimism high, but my kids are itching to get outside and they say, as soon as we get over the curve, dad, we can get out. And I say to them, no, we have to get to the bottom side of the curve. If you know anything about math, the front side of the curve has to look like the bottom side of the curve. And so we as a culture, Paul, when you're talking about being a good citizen, I think it's important and it's incumbent on us as a dental community to educate people around us. Look, if you look at Japan and Singapore, nobody's been able to do this. Now I'm optimistic that we'll be smart enough as a culture to understand what happens, but history doesn't tell us that. If you look at some of the things that have happened in the past, People are dumb enough to go outside once it's on the other side of the curve. You gotta get to the bottom side of the curve because it can mutate. So here's my point, here's my answer, Rob. We're gonna hope for the best, you know, but plan for the worst type of a thing. And I'm optimistic that the right type of people will give us the right information. We'll be ready to go back to work soon. But I certainly wouldn't tell anybody, I would not tell anybody you're going to go back to work on April 28th. or That's just silly. It's stupid. You know, because we have a responsibility to get to the other side of the bottom side of the curve. So I don't know. I don't know the answer. All I know is that I have a role in this and it's to keep people thinking the right things. And if we can keep them through that, I think we're going to be in pretty good shape. And when dentists are able to go back to work, I tell every dentist at work, you can't determine this. We're just going to get you stacked with a day in which you're full of patients. 
And if your governor says you can't go back to work, we move that day to the next that day. That I'd like to talk about. We have a couple of questions and comments coming for you. Some said really re refreshing and inspiring. Kirk, another person said, um, right, Rob said, uh, you know, uh, the 24-hour-7 news cycle, if we covered other things like this, would drive us nuts. Sure also, just to note, in, and then we're all in this together. It's not just practicing dentists. We also have our newest colleagues to be our dental students who are part of this. To me, as we move through this each week, uh, Rob, we do so. I just want to, you know, as we look strategize, you know, where are they in this getting to their next step? Because like this crowded restaurant syndrome, people are coming behind this. So really appreciate you sharing these things, Kirk. People should check out what you're doing at ACT with you guys thing. Rob, any last questions for Kirk there? No, actually, Kirk, if you could tell us uh, how can our listeners uh, get in touch with you or learn more about ACT? Yeah, the best thing to do, I mean, is just the roadmap. Uh, I don't even know where it is. Here you go. We could use your oh, website. Use the What's the yeah. best website? You can just text ROADMAP to 833-605. My team will put in the comments, ROADMAP to 833-605-0868. You'll get the ROADMAP, plus you'll be able to see our, um, you know, you can, you, you'll see the, the conference, you'll see Paul's lectures on there. Perfect. It's just a bunch of resources, or you can put go that to in the comment. We put that in the section, we'll add that in there. Thanks so much, Kurt, for that resource. Love working with you guys. Yeah, All thank right. you, Kirk. And you have to promise to come back for a, a regular full-blown episode after uh, after the dust settles. I'm here to help in any way I can, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, Peace sir. out. Appreciate it. Hey. Be safe. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Awesome stuff there. Kirk's a big guy in the industry. And uh, I think uh, that roadmap uh, I was looking through is a very detailed checklist. Paul is a checklist guy. I'm sure you're going to be- I love that. Hey, look, the checklist guy, I got my uh, checklist. I got my checklist book right here. I don't leave him with that or without my nachos. So those two. So yeah. And it was on the checklist this morning to make sure you took your checklist book in the nachos. Yeah. See, yeah, yeah the I want a checklist of the checklist. Yes. So uh, we've got a, 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 another really cool guest here, another amigo uh, coming on next, uh, Mr. Colin Carr who is the, uh, the founder and CEO of Car Healthcare Realty, who I mentioned at the outset. And uh, we do a lot of work with uh, Colin's guys and gals, uh, ladies around the, uh, around the country, uh, working with uh, real estate needs for, uh, for practice startups, office expansions, and lease renewals. And you know, as we had Jamie Amos on last week, Paul, uh, there are, I think, a lot of opportunities for startups and in the real estate world uh, for dentists, especially those that might be thinking about transitioning into practice ownership. I think the initial response or reaction after, after COVID was starting to sell in was, oh, horrible, we, we can't possibly do a startup. But I think Jamie Amos uh, showed us the way uh, last week and, and you know, there are a lot of positives and a lot of things that you can do with a new practice and a newly constructed practice. There are gonna be a lot more challenging uh, post-COVID. So uh, without further ado, uh, welcome, Amigo, and thanks for being on the show today, Colin. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, uh, before Rob starts, I will say, so when we did the podcast, Rob goes, I'm going to bring in someone from healthcare real estate, Brian Madden, and I said, this is going to be very boring. And it was yeah. a very interesting podcast to me. So Brian made leases interesting. So I think he can make anything interesting. But I will have to say I was pleasantly surprised how interesting leases of dental offices could be. Uh, so we're going to bring someone for Rob, how to read the side of the bonding agent bottle to get back at him. But, you know, I uh, just wanted to say I, I really enjoyed Brian's uh, insight into the real, real estate and leasing prior to the coronavirus crisis. And what you guys do is really great. 
Thank you. Yeah, Brian's one of the wittiest guys that I've ever met in my entire life. And you have a conversation with him for literally two minutes and he's educated you on four or five topics in a way <laughs> yeah. never heard them explain before. Yeah. Totally. Uh, see, I told you, Paul, you know, you just have to trust me sometimes, right? Yeah, yeah I like that. Yeah, so Paul, so you mentioned you're going to crack open uh, your finest box of wine, right? And Yeah, you have finest box, yes. Exactly. <laughs> and put a straw to what it came to real estate. Yeah. Uh, so Colin, you know, so tell, uh, tell our listeners, you know, what kind of things are you seeing out there uh, with deals that, that, that dentists are working on? And what are some of the things that your team are starting to plan for uh, when, uh, when we get out of this, uh, this pandemic? Yeah, so let me, let me hit a couple of things. People are asking us right now what we're seeing in the marketplace and we're seeing everything you can possibly imagine. We have some clients that are saying, hey, let's just push pause for a few weeks and let's see what happens. We have other clients that are, are full speed ahead because they realize that if it's a new office, they're not gonna be uh, opening that location for another six to nine or even 12 months. And of course, nobody can fully predict the future, but I don't think many people think that we're still gonna be in this type of a situation in nine or 12 months. So uh, you know, I think as Jamie Amos pointed out as well, if you're looking at doing a new project, whether it's a startup, an additional office, what have you, if you're not, if, if you're in a, a phase of the process where you have to build out a new space and you have to go through the, the negotiation, the identification, all the lease process, I mean, you're not going to probably be in there for nine to 12 months. And we're seeing a lot of landlords right now that are very open to putting uh, COVID or pandemic language in the leases that state if there is a delay uh, that affects the construction industry or affects you from opening that they will push the the start date back or the rent commencement back. And so that's giving a lot of hope for people that that have an interest in doing a transaction in the near future. Uh, so, you know, if, if, if it's a second or third office and you're not quite sure people are pushing pause, there are people pushing pause right now, even if it's a startup. Uh, but as far as lease renewals, I mean, that's the thing about commercial real estate leases come up and you know, you don't really have the benefit of just saying, I'll deal with that later. It's, it's not an optional purchase of, you know, should I upgrade technology or should I renovate my space? If you have a lease coming up, you have to renew that lease or else you go and hold over or find yourself in a compromised position. So hey, uh, Colin, can I stop you there for a second? Because I yeah. think that's an important thing for people to, to realize, you know, if you're in this time of uncertainty, uh, I, you really, uh, again, I'm not giving legal advice because every situation is different, but uh, this is not the time to say, hey, I'm not sure what the, the economy is going to look like. So I'm just going to let my lease expire and, and then start from scratch after that. Um, you know, that that would be a move that you'd have to be very careful about making uh, and understand, you know, the, the value and the expense of building out a, a dental office and that letting leases lapse is is very rarely a good idea. I agree. I agree. Yeah, you're much better off. Uh, trying to see what's the best economics, the best terms you can get right now. And, it, you know, landlords are concerned as well. I mean, landlords right now uh, have some tenants that are still paying, other ones that are not, others that are threatening to go out of business. And the reality is that if a landlord can make a good deal right now and lock in a blue chip tenant like a dentist for the next 10 or 12 or 15 years, they're going to push harder to make that deal than they might have uh, a few months ago. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's a great point. And, you know, and I think, too, if we just go off topic a little bit, I mean, what I'm seeing now, too, with landlords is really most of them are in a wait and see uh, stance. You know, I think a lot of uh, our dental clients are obviously experiencing problems. They're going to the landlord, asking for relief, saying that they want several months rent free or something tacked on to some period later on the lease, which is a reasonable ask. 
But what I'm hearing from most landlords and most landlords' lawyers is that they just they want to wait and see how long this is and how bad it is. I mean, I think that it's important to communicate with landlords at this point in time, but don't expect some sort of definitive plan coming from the landlord or a commitment like we're seeing from the government where they're going to say, or even your lender, hey, don't worry, I'll give you three months free rent or you know, uh, two months or whatever, I'll bait the, the base rent, but not the, uh, the triple nets. Like don't expect some long-term commitment from your landlord because your landlord pretty much at this point is going through the same thing that all small businesses are with the unknowns and, you know, not knowing how long or how bad this is going to be and what kind of bailout or stimulus they're going to see, if any. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So let me, let me hear your original question. You know, what I'm seeing right now, and again, this is just simply my prediction. I'm not an economist, but uh, we do touch a, a substantial amount of transactions across the country and have for a long time. Uh, and I've been through, personally, I've been through the, the correction in 01 and 08. I don't believe this is the same thing that we've seen in either of those previous corrections. Those, those corrections were driven by, uh, by, by huge issues in the market with, with mortgage crisis, mortgage fraud, you know, dot-com bust, et cetera. You know, this is more, uh, this is more of, a, of a forced pause, as Paul mentioned. And so uh, the indicators and the drivers are still there to keep the economy very, very strong. There's more money in the history of the world on the sidelines right now looking to invest in companies through private equity, venture capital, et cetera. There's more money on the sidelines right now trying to invest in the commercial real estate than there ever has been in the history of the world. And so uh, I do believe there's going to be some companies go out of business as a whole. I believe that healthcare is going to continue to thrive uh, at an unprecedented rate. Uh, I do believe there's going to be a dip and certain people are going to weather that storm better depending on where you're at financially. How that impacts the commercial real estate market though, this is my prediction. Uh, you're going to see some companies go out of business. There's no question about it. Uh, you're going to see this situation push a handful of retailers that were already on the ropes that were going to get knocked out later this year. They're going to get knocked out sooner. And again, you've seen that the last four or five years, even with the market thriving. So that's not really a byproduct of the market that's just accelerating the process of companies that aren't profitable or have too much debt. So you're going to see some retailers go out. You're going to see some companies go out. You're going to see, uh, I think you're going to see an uptick in the companies that were forced to work with home offices. And they're going to realize that they didn't lose productivity for a lot of them. And they were able to, to capitalize with technology and be every bit as productive. And so you're going to see a lot of companies, I believe, shrink their footprint and decide they don't need as much office space as they did before. So those, those concepts are going to soften the market. And when the market softens, the pendulum is going to swing back towards the center uh, and back towards more of an even market. Uh, right now, it's, it's heavily a landlord market. Uh, it's, it's, it started going back to the last correction in 08. Uh, the market absolutely tanked, and it was 100% a tenant and buyer market. You, could, you were Landlords were giving uh, concessions that were unprecedented, unheard of. Lease rates were at uh, you know dramatic lows. Construction uh, costs went down, and so the pendulum went went to the tenant side big time. Well, over the last 10, 12 years, it's it's gradually come back up to where it is. It is a dominant landlord market, and so the good news or silver lining of what's happening right now, you're going to see the market soften in certain areas, and it's going to create legitimate opportunities for healthcare providers. And there's a lot of studies, uh, let me hit one of them, but uh, CoStar is the largest uh, commercial real estate database in the world, uh, owns LoopNet as well, has a tremendous research department. And I was reading an article from them last week where it said that during the, the last five economic downturns, uh, 
that medical and healthcare real estate uh, did not have an overall decline. And so what that speaks to is the healthcare community is, yes, no one's saying that you're not going to have a challenge trying to figure out how to, how to keep staff, uh, how, to, how to manage uh, things when it gets up and running again. But the good news is, is that landlords recognize the strength of healthcare. And when the market uh, softens, they will, they will push harder for a healthcare client or a tenant than they would for a fringe restaurant or for a, a startup office user. So I think we are going to see some really uh, exciting and legitimate opportunities for healthcare providers with real estate. What are they doing, Rob and uh, Colin, just because let's say I'm representing that I'm the only dentist here in this box right now. Uh, I don't know if we have any other dentists. That we, uh, no, it's, it might be a dentist free. I'm, I'm outnumbered each, at each turn uh, coming up. I'm going to get way up that way next week. But um, let's say you're a, renting your place right now. You're leasing your space. What are landlords doing? Let's just say you're closed down until June 1st. Are the landlords expecting that the government uh, packages, which have been challenging, like PPP or EIDL, to help? Are they deferring lease payments to later? Is it totally up to them, whatever they feel like doing? Just curious. About that. Yeah, so I mean, we're we're taking literally hundreds of calls per week right now on this topic, and and so here's what we're looking at, uh, and I'll answer that question maybe the little bit longer answer, but I'm gonna hit a couple of things that come up sure. with that. So the first question is, are you at a point in time with your lease where you should be looking at a renegotiation anyways? If you're inside 12 or 18 months, you might package uh, some free rent right now, bridging this gap with a brand new lease, and that's very palatable because most landlords, if the if the tenants properly represented are gonna plan on giving free rent or concessions at, a, at the beginning of a new term, even on a renewal. So if you're 12 to 18 months out, a lot of landlords right now are saying, yes, I will give you three or four months free if you re-up for 10 or 12 years or five years. So um, that's one scenario. If you're, let's say you're stuck in the middle of a term, you're three or four years into a 10 year term, uh, most landlords right now are, are asking the question, they're saying, do you have business interruption insurance? That's the first question they ask. The second question they ask is, what is your lender saying the third question they ask is, are you telling me right now that you don't have the reserve to pay your rent? And then they're saying, what, what Rob mentioned a minute ago, is they're saying, I'm in the same place you are because I have to pay a mortgage. So uh, the dominoes eventually stop uh, once it hits the landlord. Uh, so they're hoping to get bailed out. They're hoping to get relief. But I mean, a couple of things are common. It seems like unless a miracle's happened since uh, the last week, it doesn't seem like business interruptions helping us like it has uh, for hurricanes. So I'm just, I, we own one place, we rent one place, you know, yes, we have reserves from the business for like a month to carry us over. I don't know if it will carry us over for three months, you know, uh, I guess both the landlord and the dental practice is looking for some of these government programs to help get them through this time. Just depends, I guess, when they come through. Yeah, business well, I, I think, insurance yeah. Is, not, is not doing it here. And, you know, right. I, there may be like a couple of policies that I, maybe I don't even know of, but almost universally, there is no uh, coverage available. Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, I think most landlords right now, right now, they know that they're not going to be successful in evicting a dentist. They're not, every eviction has got to go before a judge. There's no judge that's going to put, well, let me, let me rephrase. I'm not giving legal advice either. It's extremely unlikely that a judge would, would allow a landlord. How do you get in front of a judge now? Just curious. Do you have to go to virtual court? Is there such thing as virtual court right now? I'm curious. Most places you can't even get, most courts that you can't are, are closed for this kind of stuff yeah, for, for nine days. So you can't even do it, which is yeah. mechanics of it, right? But yeah. you, know, you know, the thing is, I think that in some respects, you know, if, if, a, if a dentist is having that conversation with the landlord and saying, hey, I don't have any money, uh, the landlord's also looking around at some of these, you know, sort of the, the less desirable, the more distressed businesses 
knowing that the, that they're not going to make it. I mean, we as as lawyers and and uh, real estate brokers really trumpet the fact that dentists are strong tenants from a, from a credit standpoint. And while that may make it more difficult, I think maybe in the short term to, to, to say, hey, I can't afford to pay the rent, I shouldn't pay anything. In the long term, I think it might pay off for them because folks, landlords need tenants, right? So they're not out there trying to figure out how to get rid of all their tenants. You know, can you go ahead and, and evict people when, they, when they're a month or two behind in the rent? Absolutely. But if they evict all their tenants, when the stuff comes back, there's not going to be anybody to pay the bills. So as a landlord, and part of the discussion needs to be like, hey, guess what? You know, I might need a little bit of relief, but I need you to work with me because I'm in it for the long haul, you know, and I'm going to be around when all the rest of these characters who can't make it in the the new economy, the post-COVID economy, I am a dentist. I'm a rock star in this world and I'm going to be your tenant for the next decade. And, and that makes it a lot more uh, attractive to the landlord and a lot less desirable for any right thinking business person to want to, uh, to evict a person or a dentist like that. Yeah. And, that, and that's the good news. And so um, going back to, I mean, they, they know they're not going to evict you. It's not going to work. And then to your point, they know that, that again, uh, dentists have one of the lowest default rate of any tenant you could possibly come up with, even against some of the largest national retailers in the country. And so the landlords know that they have to find a way to work with you and they don't want to release the space. They don't want a vacancy. They don't want to go back into that situation. They know they're not going to get an eviction through. So uh, long answer to a short question is the vast majority of landlords are working with the doctors and they're saying, do the best you can. Some are with the fighting. Other ones are not. We have some landlords saying, hey, I'll give you, sign this amendment, which just says, hey, I'll give you three months of, of deferred rent, but you got to pay me three in the end, just so that you're not ducking out of that portion. Um, they're saying, hey, listen, I'm not going to assess any late fees or we'll see what happens. But the, the, the good news is for most healthcare providers, um, we've yet to find very many landlords that are dropping the hammer. Most are just saying, hey, do the best you can and we'll figure this out together. And also you made a good point, uh, Kyle, that like some businesses are learning that they can work remotely but dentists can't. So it's like dentists are a physical business. So they re- represent not only from a, uh, you know, when dentistry gets reopened, when it's done being grounded, it's something that has to be done, you know, person to person. So if you, we have one of our offices in kind of this, you know, strip mallish type of place, people come and go next to us for the past eight years, but dentistry has to be done. So maybe some of those businesses would just pick up and go, virtual where dentists, you know, in a positive way for a landlord have to do that. And the other thing I want to share is that since we're sharing solutions and strategies, as a buyer coach, I, you know, help people evaluate practices, sell practices, but these mergers or what Rob calls a fold in, maybe if someone's doing a startup and planning nine or 12 months ahead and they connect with the people in their neighborhood, there might be this unique opportunity to acquire small practices to get your startup going and solve two problems. Because I anticipate that there's some dentists that are just going to retire out of this, that are going to say, hey, I'm finished. Here's my patience. I was going to sell my practice for $300,000, but if I can get a chart sale for hundred grand, you can do it. So that might be a great business opportunity, a real win-win for the circle of dentisting life here. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, we're, we're actually seeing that. We're seeing a bunch of people that said, I was going to try to sell later this year. And you know, knowing I'm gonna have to ramp back up again, I'm willing to give a discount. And they're saying, do you have any buyers? Could we merge this? Who do you know in the area? And so we are seeing that that jumpstart approach as well. Gotcha. 
Hey, Colin, what other things are, uh, are you seeing and thinking about there? Yeah, you know, uh, I think this is a phenomenal time to look at, to look at where you rank compared to the market and start tracking that. A lot of people have the mentality, they, they do a lease and then they basically just bury that, that mentally for the next five, seven or 10 years. And, uh, you know, and that's, that's one approach. Another way to, to look at it is you have time right now to be proactive with, with figuring out where you rank compared to the market. So, you know, getting a comprehensive lease analysis or having someone run purchase versus lease numbers for you and saying, hey, if the market does soften, would you be a candidate to buy your own building? What would that look like? I think just just waiting for things to change, again, that's one approach and maybe that's the way that people want to deal with it. But uh, just like you guys are doing right now, you're being proactive trying to get uh, legitimate information into people's hands they can use and leverage that. Uh, it's the, it's no different with real estate. I mean, real estate's typically the second or third highest expense behind payroll. You should be looking at it right now and you should know if you have a lease coming up in two or three years, even if it's not the target window to renegotiate, you want to know uh, where your current terms rank compared to the market. And there's too many, there's too many dentists specifically that get into a lease and they just assume they have a market lease rate or they assume because they negotiated it eight or 10 years ago that it's probably fair. And, you know, what we tell people is, you know, most leases have an annual increase that ratchets up every year. That's a kind of an industry standard. Uh, in the majority of those scenarios, that annual increase outpaces inflation. And then if you throw in there the concept of a market correction, uh, you might be dramatically above rent when the smoke when the smoke clears, the dust settles on this one. So I think it's important for people to be proactive with their leases, get in touch with an expert, find someone who can do a uh, detailed you know lease analysis for you, and then they'll track it with you, and then they'll find the, the target time to help you you know uh, start that next transaction. Yeah. Also, a couple of questions I just wanted to jump in with here from our audience: a real estate appraisal pre-COVID would that still be accurate post-COVID, or if not, how would you handle this? So here's the challenge with, with appraisals. And uh, you know, most people think if you hire an appraiser, like a certified appraiser, and you pay your three, $4,000 and they give you a document, uh, most people think that determines the value. And what we tell people is an appraisal doesn't determine the value. An appraisal verifies that the money the bank's going to lend is within the limits that they're comfortable. If you were to go get uh, an appraisal, if, if you were to go get three different appraisers, and, and tell each one, hey, tell me how much my building's worth, but you didn't give them a purchase contract for what a, what a willing buyer was willing to pay. I mean, you might get numbers that are hundreds of thousands of dollars different. So uh, I guess I would just say it depends on who did that appraisal, what the purpose was, et cetera. Uh, any, any buyer today that shows up is going to have to get their own appraisal if they're getting traditional or conventional financing. So uh, I would say uh, it really depends. I mean, it depends if the, if the area you're in is hit harder than others. Uh, again, I know there's parts of the country now that are on complete shutdown. There's several states that have not put a stay-at-home order in. There's several states that have said real estate and construction is an essential service. Uh, in Colorado's example, nothing is slowing down with construction. I mean, residential, commercial, it is cranking. And so I think it just depends on the, the state of affairs, where you're located, and then, and then how long ago that appraisal was, and then what the purpose was for. Great. And one question for both you guys. We both, we both see things around the country and, you know, it, it, I'm struck by this all the time that, you know, what is going on in Dallas or Oklahoma is very different than what's going on in New York, Boston, Philadelphia. It's different than Seattle, which is different from anywhere else in between. And so I think people need to be careful about just reading the news and hearing reports about what's going on, you know, it's, it's really going to be more specific to their community and real estate is the ultimate local business. I mean, so, you know, and it's, it's even within uh, in a particular 
city or, or area, there are great variables as to, you know, how certain uh, areas might be impacted from a virus standpoint or from an economic standpoint. But I mean, I kind of feel like, you know, with the appraisal, I think it's hard to say what the person's actually trying to get at. I mean, from I, I think you would almost have to assume that what the value of a property was two months ago, it's certainly not more now. So if you're, if you're trying to discern whether or not what you had something came in, you know, whatever, six months ago is an appraised value, is that still the right price to pay? I mean, ugh, probably not, you know, like it, it may, it, maybe it just went down a little or a lot, but I can't see much real estate has, has actually increased in value during that time period. Yeah. Awesome. And one more before we wrap up, uh, someone had said, I know we're not giving legal advice, but they would just mention their story. They were about to open their doors for a startup, but they didn't sign the lease yet. The landlord had given six months of free rent for build out. Do you think they would be open to giving more free rent or negotiate for cheaper rent? Maybe you guys have covered that in the past. I just wanted to bring that up. Yeah, so we're seeing we're seeing both sides. We're seeing uh, there's some markets, like for instance, in the, in the state of Michigan, they've deemed construction non-essential. And so it's come to a screeching halt. Again, in Colorado, it's an essential service. And so I've, I've spoken with a handful of home builders and and large contractors here. And, and for the most part, they're 95, 98 from their business is still cranking. If you're in a market where where the construction companies or the architects can't do what they're supposed to, or you can't get a permit, uh, those those landlords are saying, yes, we'll give you more time. If it's a market where you can work like in Colorado and you're not being uh, held up in the process, there's really not a precedent to ask for more time. So I think, again, I think it's case by case, market by market. but. If you are if you are held up or you are slowed down, it's it's it'd be completely reasonable to ask for that and expect to get that. Yeah, and, and folks, and, and listen to what Colin said. You know, really, market to market, case by case. You know, this is you know with landlords and and leases. You know, things vary so much depending on what type of landlord, what type of owner, what kind of financing they have, what kind of TI they can provide. You know, and I would I would urge everybody. You know take a shot at it, you know, who, who knows, you know, and it's going to be different in every, every deal. Uh, but, you know, it doesn't hurt to ask and, you know, try to get the best, best possible deal you can get for yourself. This is one of those things where I think a lot of our dental clients want to have the, the right answer to, to that question. And, and the answer is it's just all going to depend. And the only way you know is if you try. Absolutely. Awesome, Colin. Thanks for sharing with us. Really, really outstanding stuff. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for being here, guys. Yeah, thanks so much for, for coming on, Colin. Uh, if folks want to learn more about, uh, about car healthcare real estate, uh, where would they, uh, how would they go about doing that? Uh, website is car.us, and that's C-A-R-R.us. And if you go to the homepage in the upper right-hand corner, there's a tab that says get your evaluation. And our company does free lease and purchase evaluations. And we'll do just what we said is we'll take your current terms, compare them to the market, let you know what options look like in the future for leasing or purchasing and really just give you a benchmark. So, you know, you know when the right time to transact is and you know what the right strategy to start is. Yeah. I mean, that, you guys have been an awesome sponsor and resource for Del Nachos and uh, Brian, I know you have people across the country, but now's the time, Dennis, you have time to look into this stuff. You might as well take some of the time and do that, you know, reach out to car and learn about your lease. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Colin. Yeah. I really appreciate you guys. Thanks so much. Hey, Paul, so, you know, really what we're getting back to, what you just concluded with is, is really uh, is really impactful. And that's what David Phelps was talking about last week, that this is the time that you really have to focus on in all the little details. You have to have awareness as to what's going on from a number standpoint, where you're spending your money, where the opportunities are. 
and that the people that are going to make it through in better shape are the people that are focused and, and purposeful. And one of the big expenses in any practice is the rent. And, you know, we see a lot of times in the transition world, you know, where somebody has been paying the, the tenant, paying tenant for 20 years or 25 years or more in a space. And the reward for that is that they are now paying $7 a square foot more than somebody that comes in right. off the street. Right. Yeah. And that's just a case of just not keeping your eye on the ball, you know, and uh, with all this stuff. And, and as Colin is saying too, where you have the ability to possibly renegotiate your lease or to renegotiate an extension. If your lease is going to run up in a couple of years, you may have leverage that you don't even realize that you have. So it's a good time to, to check in with your, uh, with your real estate agent and, and, and understand what's in your lease and what opportunities you may yeah, have. It's a perfect awareness thing. And, you know, uh, I've learned from my coaches, you know, if you, people say look into details, it sounds very annoying, right? I, I, now, but if you say look into different segments, right? You think of your business as segments and say, okay, today this segment on this Tuesday that has lost all sense of, you know, structure to me in the middle of April, I'm going to sit down and put in my calendar lease review or this review you build these segments over time when we get to ACB after the coronavirus crisis, um, you're ready to make moves and you planned accordingly and purposely, like you've said. So great stuff from Colin. Excited to talk to our next guest. Yeah. So talking about moves and what you should be thinking about, you know, post COVID, uh, our next uh, guest, uh, Amigo, Alistair McDonald. Thanks. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for being here. It's, it's, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. It's good to be here, Rob. Nice to see you, Paul. Nice to see you, Alistair. Is just an awesome resource. Uh, I got a chance to see him in person two times at the uh, Mark Costas Dental Success Summit. Very grateful that that experience brought me the chance to connect with Alistair in person. He gives awesome talks, and I just uh, love his witty Facebook comments. And uh, really, really looking forward to hearing what he has to say about all of this. Thanks, Paul and Rob. It's good to meet you. Yeah, same here. You know, I've, I followed you and watched you virtually, and so it's a pleasure to finally be talking to you live and. Uh, you know, I know you do a lot of great things uh, in the professional space and with dentists specifically. What types of things are you seeing and what things are you anticipating uh, in the post-COVID world and that dentists should be thinking about and planning for? Uh, you know, a large part of my work is worrying about things that nobody's worried about yet. Um, and trying to, you know, when, when Paul and I first met two years ago now, I was uh, giving a caution to every one of the 800 uh, participants at the summit or what have you that I expected our next recession would, would be uh, arriving by, on or by October of last year. And so my whole theme was to be prepared for a recession by October of 2019. And so the thing about the business cycle is just that, it's a cycle. And it doesn't require any great catalyst on either direction. Uh, in either direction. It, the, the market rolls over and the economy expands and contracts in the same way that every other aspect of, of, uh, of business or anything does. Um, and my concerns were that it wouldn't require, certainly didn't foresee COVID-19, but it didn't matter because if you had made safe, raised cash, uh, reduced your risk, et cetera, which I was a fan of back in October, you'd be well prepared. And so now as we look up and I see, um, I, I see the differences and, and the massive impact to dentistry, I consult in a couple of different uh, industries. And I've got to say, unless you're in dentistry, you have no idea the bloodshed that this has done to, I mean, talk about the sharp end of the spear, you know, dentistry has been really bludgeoned. So as I look up and out, um, 
having kind of professionally made my way as an entrepreneur, specifically navigating large market and social cycles. I did a TEDx talk on it and so forth. I have concerns that are nested, oddly enough, inside hygiene. Um, and I, that seems to me to be the biggest risk point in a post-COVID world because of the lag effects, the inevitable lag effects of political uh, follow-through and social uh, reaction. So hygiene, for sure, is, is facing an uphill struggle. Tell us a little more, Alistair. What is that? You know, I have this phrase, BTL, bring that to life, and great insight. And I've, I've thought about the same thing with hygiene, but I'm not sure if we're coming at it from the same angle. What specifically with hygiene, whether it's the elective dollars or the safety to, to be able to do it inside the practice? Well, I have a lot to say about this, but I kind of need permission to truly share what it is that I think, because uh, I am actually, you know, it's, I know that I'm doing my best work when I upset a certain number of people because it's not what they are invested in. And I understand that. One of the, growth, the, the most powerful lesson of recessions, as somebody that has navigated several of them over the years, uh, and if, historically, they've been the most profitable times of my life, uh, and this one is on track to be the same, <clears throat> is there's no good news or bad news. There's just news that you were prepared for, and there's news that you weren't prepared for. And so I fall back to making safe. You know, I'm, a, I'm an avid student and instructor uh, in the sport of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And when the Gracie family learned jiu-jitsu from a Japanese ambassador back in 19-teens, he came to them as this wealthy young family and he said, I'm gonna teach you, you know, these various joint locks and submission holds and striking arts and so forth. And they said, that's great. But if I'm in the favelas and I'm on my back and somebody is sitting across my chest, raining blows down on me, does this help me? Of course it didn't. So they had to figure out how to get out of that really bad position. And once you do, then you know that everything else is easy. And so a good part of my work with private clients is to run scenarios and say, if the worst case happens, we've got multiple transitions and phases that we can navigate uh, to get there and to get out of it. So in the case of hygiene specifically, there are a number of indicators that we can anticipate with 100% confidence that will capture the bottom of this half of the economic cycle. The cycle is just that. It has an expansionary period and a contractionary period. And we are now entering the second half of the business cycle. This means that what worked for us in the summer, spring, summer, and fall of the economic expansion is not going to serve us in this economic winter that we're experiencing. So we have to adjust to the seasons. Now, there's many things we can do. But if we think that now is the time to map how we're going to scale and leverage and be super aggressive, you are paying attention to the wrong end of the horse, you know? Uh, so to come back to the, looking at the broader economic, and then this would look at 150 years of data, we could go back to 300 years if we include uh, Dutch uh, market data and so forth, which, which I have and use routinely. There are indicators that are showing up. There are technical indicators, economic ones, political and social indicators. Now, believe me, this has a lot to do with dentistry. The technical ones, I won't spare the audience. I'll spare the audience the, that aspect for now. I speak about it a lot in my podcast, but we don't have to waste time with that. Um, the economic impact, we have to consider what the lag effects of double-digit unemployment rates are. We're on track 
within the first month of this contraction to already hit levels that represented the peak of the financial crisis in 2009. What is the lag effect of that? For only for corporate valuations, it took peaks that were reached in 2000, took until spring of 2013, just to get back to their previous valuations. This is a good cycle. Uh, if we look back at similar data in 1929, it took you from 1929 to 1954 for your business to be worth what it was previously. That's 25 years, it's a long time. So economically, there's a lag impact. Politically, uh, the government is by design a committee and they get together as committees always do and they sit around, imagine it's an HOA and it's Rob, you and Paul, you and I, and we sit there and we're the head of this HOA committee. And all of our neighbors show up and they say, oh, that guy is leaving his trash can now. And that person hasn't moved that car off the street for the last month. Those lights, street lights aren't working, what have you, what have you. This goes on all the time. These are all identified by one thing in common. They have all already happened. So committees show up to solve problems that have already occurred. And this happens all the time. Uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission, for example, was created to protect investors from fraudulent sale of stocks and bonds and so forth. And it was enacted in 1933, exactly 13 years after it was needed uh, at the exact bottom of stocks in the Great Depression. Uh, the Glass-Siegel Act, the same thing. We've now look at, it, we, this goes on and on. The Patriot Act was enacted after the September 11th attack, etc. So there is a lag effect between cause and legislative response. What has this got to do with dentistry? Just about everything. One of the things that is lost to non, those that are not involved in the dentistry space, as I say, is the impact to these practices. Uh, most of us just know, well, I'm, I don't have time right now. I'm under shelter in place. I'm not going to go to the dentist, etc. There's a lag effect for people coming out of their homes. Even if we completely stick the landing on this, we're looking at, I believe, conservatively, I'm not qualified to say this, but more qualified people than I, are suggesting we're 12 to 18 months away from a viable vaccine. Now, we already have people in society that refuse to even take vaccines, let alone convince the entire population that they need to be the beta testing group of this new vaccine. So we've got, we've got some uphill climbing to do to get broader adoption and create some sort of herd immunity. What has this got to do with hygiene and, uh, and legislative reaction? It is, seems to me incredibly high probability that government, whether it's ADA, uh, it's, whether it's state organizations, industry organizations, or federal organizations, are gonna show up very late in the cycle and retroactively apply legislative demands on dental practices that are gonna make it really expensive and really cumbersome to do business. The same thing happened in the financial services industry and they were burdened with bureaucratic oversight. So I would hope that I desperately want to be wrong, but I think this is a big deal. So that's the political uh, indicator that I'm concerned about. Uh, you know, if we start, we're seeing a lot of folks talking about creating negative pressure rooms and suction systems and vacuums and so forth, very, very high cost. When we absorb high costs just to be able to do business, that cost has to be passed on to somebody else, and it's always the consumer. Uh, then there's the social impact. Once we, again, just using CDC extrapolated data, once we look out and we say, hey, uh, 
at the rate things are going, every one of us is likely mathematically, statistically, to know one person in our lives that dies from COVID-19. That appears to be statistically supported. Again, just speaking generally. What is the appetite going to be for hygiene when I have to convince you, Paul, to come in for a cleaning, when I say, you know what? I lost Aunt May, and I think she went to the dentist, retroactive uh, finger pointing. It always comes in bear markets. We look for people to blame. I said, I'm worried about that. I'm just going to buy a water pick on Amazon, and I'm going to just, you know, clean my own teeth. This has a major impact for anyone that is trying to extrapolate revenue assumptions from a startup or anything else. A big impact. You cannot legislate around human fear. You cannot. You cannot force people to go to hygiene. And in so doing, we lose a third of our revenues out of the gates. And what, 70% of the funnel that hygiene represents for all of our high ticket cases and everything else. So again, this is something I hope I'm wrong about, but it's something I'm actively working with clients to try to get in front of and mitigate. So, so I said this not nearly as eloquently as you uh, when I was thinking about the beginners because our patient population is a lot of 60 to 70 year olds and they're my uncles and aunts. And my concern from the very beginning without a lot of knowledge was like, man, are people gonna have the confidence to come back and do this? And do I want them to? I mean, I kind of said, right when I said, I said, maybe I don't want my aunts and uncles to come to the dental office for their hygiene. I don't know. I mean, I, I love my aunts and uncles. And even though that's a very, maybe that's fear, maybe that's responsible concern, but you made such a good point there that I've been trying to share, but it's hard to share news with dentists they don't want to hear that we have yes. a lot of questions around what we need to do to reopen safely and what that looks like. And, you know, if we bury our heads in the sand and say, oh, it's just going to be the same, my sense is it's not going to be the same and that people are going to do it. I just have a question for you because it was a great talk. You talked about this lag like 1920 to 1933 when they needed this and the Patriot Act. I totally got that. But, I mean, I'm just asking for your speculative opinion. How do we – when? Where do you see dentists being, when dentistry is reopened, like what do you see it looking like? Only emergency care, uh, only restorative care? I'm just curious. Uh, just to put a, a point to, to yours there, if I can, this, the issue is that, again, we can't legislate around fear. And so even if we've built the most robust, uh, high, high level uh, surgery suite type deal in incredibly sterile environments, it's very much against a fearful populace. It's like standing up in a movie theater where somebody is packed movie theater and somebody sells, smells smoke. If you stand up in front of the doorway and say, not to worry, we have got the best sprinkler system in, in, in the city, you will be trampled. You cannot legislate around fear. And then there's one last thing, and I'll share this about hygiene, then I'll answer your question. What are the hygienists themselves? How are we going to convince these people that they should risk their lives seven, eight, 10, 12 times a day for 40 bucks an hour. Uh, they'll say, no, I will do it for 200 an hour. Now, how are we going to pass on that cost to a populace that's not interested potentially in coming in for hygiene anyway? Um, but I'm sorry. Uh, so now we've got a demand issue. Uh, there's an, a lack of demand and we've got a supply issue that is priced to oblivion. Uh, this is an issue. And uh, I do think that there's some things that can be done uh, and I think it leads with education and uh, getting in front of that collective uh, social mood trend. Um, but I'm sorry, Paul, to come back to no, your question. What you were saying was, you're saying is right. So I've, I've been sharing this on a lot of the groups. I've been taking a lot of some 
some interesting responses. I'm saying we have to have answers to this. Just like there was a Netflix documentary going around about root canals being bad, yes. which was yeah. total. They actually took it off of Netflix. I don't know if you caught this, Rob, but oh, they were actually saying root, root canals are bad. They took it off of Netflix. It was 100% garbage. But we had to answer questions about that. And what dentists don't get, Alistair, is we're too good at answering questions about fear. We're good at it. Amalgam removal, paresthesia, implant problems. We answer like a pro, right? And, yes. and we're, but now this, me, you know, I'm 42 years old. I've been a dentist for 17 years. I'm sitting here looking for more information about how I can answer this. I want to get ahead of it. And that's why I'm trying to desperately gather information and just sort of cobble together thoughts as to what this world's going to look like. Uh, but my fear is that, or my concern is that, the CDC and OSHA and the ADA, I don't, I don't know who to, who to charge, is, is not really thinking about dentists reopening. And we're kind of last in line. And Rob, you said that. You, you, you mentioned that too. Well, I feel like, and this is what we talked about last week, I feel like the, you know, the, the ADA and the state dental associa uh, associations and whoever the lobbying groups are, are, are just dropping the ball right now. That this is a perfect storm in the worst possible way for dentistry. Dentists are impacted in such a different way than everybody else in the in the economy. And that message needs to get out there where we were talking about, you know, stimulus and, you know, the stuff where, you know, you get 60 days of, you know, of PPP and the loans can be forgiven. That does nothing from a practical standpoint for dentists or dental practices. Yes. And, and so, you know, but that message needs to be conveyed. And it's like the same thing where, you know, here in Pennsylvania, Paul, where we find out that everybody's waiting to see like what the, the state board's going to say. And then, Oh, okay. Now the department of health says something else like that. We shouldn't be sitting back or dentists shouldn't be sitting back waiting for these government agencies to tell them how and when to practice their profession. Somebody has to get in front of these agencies and tell them this is what's happening here with dentistry. This is why it's special. We have different needs and we have to educate them. Otherwise you're just going to get whatever they feel like handing out and, you know, and it's not going to work. And, you know, at the end of the day, people still need dentists, right? And, and so somebody's going to have to figure out a way for dentistry to survive. And I feel like it's really unfair, you know, not for what that's worth, but I'll say it anyway to dentists because they've taken what is, you know, almost made dentists like insurers of sterilization in all instances by virtue of this, of this COVID crisis. I mean, dentists were not expected to insure their patients' you know, health and well-being in H1N1. Dentists are not expected every year to, to protect their patients from influenza. But now all of a sudden, all the discussion I see is, well, you could get COVID at your dental office. There's a lot of things you can get a lot of places. You know, so unfortunately, the way this thing is gone, because I don't feel like, you know, the dental PR machine is organized and ready to go to battle, the, 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 the outline and the, and the context has been established by, by somebody else who doesn't understand the world. So dentists need to step up and, and make sure that their, their voices are heard and that we need to find somebody, whether it's the government, insurance companies, whatever the case is, needs to find a workable way for dentists to be able to provide dental services in a reasonable way. And that does not necessarily make it that you have to ensure that nobody could possibly get, get, get sick in your office. That's too high a standard. Alistair, if I started a Nacho GoFundMe and we hired you to eloquently just talk for us, tell us what you think. We I know my dental people, when they hear JBR, just be real, and they hear the realistic concerns, 
their brain goes, oh no, so you know, you've been just delivering awesome content. But if we said, all right, Alistair, you're gonna talk for us, what would you say we could do to make this situation less worse than it is today? Well, first of all, I appreciate the idea that there's a safe audience. I can't tell you how many, uh, there's, a, there's a direct correlation in my history of having predicted the housing crisis, the financial crisis, the et cetera, et cetera, that I know that when I'm most hated, I'm typically doing the most important work. Uh, and so when I speak about this stuff, I don't want this to be true. I'm a practice owner myself, as well as a veterinary hospital owner. I don't want this to be true, but if I'm prepared for this, uh, <clears throat> I'll better weather the storm. I'll answer that. Well, I just want to, to your point, Rob, you're right. There, you know, those that aren't in dentistry are blind to the incredible costs of state and federally mandated shutdowns. I had, I was speaking about this recently and someone said, well, what about restaurants? Well, to my knowledge, I've never met a busser who has a $400,000 student loan payment that he needs to make. So the, the idea that this is comparable together with the overhead and the equipment and the degree of sophistication that goes into the collective education of just running a world-class practice, uh, they really are being left uh, out to, you know, hung out to dry. Um, what would I call to, I would, I would have to create some sort of pragmatic call to arms that brings in the best, the best that we do need to know about the epidemiological risks to operating within the most dangerous contagion four square inches uh, on earth right now, or whatever it amounts to in the person's mouth. That needs to be, so I think that there's an educational function that's missing. Uh, and then there is, as there has been for some time, in my opinion, a gaping vacuum of leadership from the ADA and so forth. Uh, I think that this happens all the time. Once you ascend the bureaucracy, you get further and further disconnected from those on the ground. Uh, and it's true for consultants too. You know, I, I'm a practice owner. I have to eat my own cooking. If I'm gonna recommend something to my group of private clients, I need to have actually run the beta on my crew. And I think the ADA doesn't have that. And I think they're not seeking it. So I think some cross-pollinatory hybrid that has the, uh, that has the lending uh, uh, institutions that are carrying a large part of dentistry right now, coupled with the epidemiological risks and the lobbying power of this incredibly valuable industry all need to be united in a way that preserves and protects the populace and the banks, or your last thing we want is credit to dry up for dental practices. Uh, that, that'll be the lifeblood, especially given that we're on the, the back of 11 years of historic expansion uh, where every dentist is considered that they think because the bank will lend the money, they're a qualified business owner. That's a dangerous philosophy. Um, so I think that that's some version of that is what I would propose. I think that's why our attention has to be really focused on this and whether, you know, whether you're in the position of leadership or someone who's a new dentist, a dental student, a medium age dentist, just to, Rob and I have been talking about this a lot, just to get this attention on the next most important step. And I think there's a lot of distraction, like you said, about who cares if you get the, the PPP thing has turned to me just to be a total debacle. It's annoyed me. You know, I said it was like a game my five-year-old makes up where one time couch is home base and the next time it's burning hot lava. She made it up. So, I mean, I've almost given up mentally. And I also think like what you said, Alistair, it's, they're making you do promises that you don't know if you can keep because like, you know, Kirk showed, showed it on his graph and you talked about it. What's eight weeks? What's 10 weeks? You know, I mean, even if I just look at the rest of 2020, I have no idea what kind of patient volume is going to return. I've been talking yes. to hygienists too. Like, do you even open, are you, it's one of these crazy things. Dennis be like, 
I want to, I'll, I'll definitely rehire my hygienist. What if you're not allowed to do hygiene, right? You can't rehire them then. So I love what you shared and, um, you know, both the reality and some good uh, treatment plans to uh, move forward. I think that there's uh, something there that, that really can't be, uh, that, that can't be overstressed, which is outside of the regulatory backlash, this whole notion of the PPP, anytime I've been in the business of, of uh, asset management and entrepreneurship for long enough to know, anytime I hear it's easy money, I flee the building. Uh, it, it ends badly. Yeah. Um, and here's the danger. There's a lot of docs and practice owners out there that are only in existence because of an 11-year bull market of economic expansion. They do not have a full cycle investment, plan, excuse me, uh, entrepreneurial understanding or philosophy. And unfortunately, the, the vast bulk of these consultants and advisors and mentors and so forth are themselves not full cycle qualified uh, entrepreneurs. So they have dangerous advice and they are bringing, as I said, summer's expectations into an economic winter. And so when we look at these companies, these uh, practices that are leveraged up on hot, cheap money, using lines of credit to keep their doors open, even during a growth phase, to now think that the PPP is going to be a lifeline for them is an incredibly low probability prediction. And they are doing it. The entire basis of this assumption is about growth is that not just if they come back to 100% of revenues, previous revenues, but they need to knock the skin off the ball to be able to offset the cost of carrying that capital. There are so many people that are just doubling down on an already bad business plan. Now, there are things they could do, but running out to borrow hot money is not it. To your question, Paul, and then I'll shut up, is what does a post-COVID world look like? Uh, If we could just um, look at, for example, the standard uh, recessionary revenue uh, of the S&P 500. Now, people say, well, dentistry is different. We thought that about uh, dentistry being recession-proof as well, and clearly we've learned that lesson. So I think any time we're making a case that is based on exceptionalism, whether it's because we're dentists or we're educated or we're American, it's a dangerous premise, especially with a disease that is uh, non-gender or ethnic concerned. So we look at the S&P 500 and we say, what is the average revenues been of the S&P 500 over the last 50 years? So we've got six recessions in the last 50 years. And the average drawdown is 28%. Now, that is their average revenue during a recession. We're at zero. We're at zero right now. So if we could assume that our, re- our return uh, would have a 28% uh, adjustment or discount in revenue. I think that is a baseline, baseline calculation of best case scenario. Uh, and if you can build your model and plan for that now, and there's things that we could do, um, uh, you can definitely mitigate those risks. But if your plan is heavily predicated on increased cheap money and swinging for the fences with borrowed capital, you're about to learn about the other side of the business cycle. And that's unfortunate. I think it's just such great insight, and I've used this. Rob and I have been golfing before. Used this last time. Uh, I've golfed my whole life, and you know, all different clubs, and I they just I can't determine which clubs I'm even allowed to use to go play this game. So to like, it's just just very difficult to say. Okay, I can I can shoot a 90 if I can use my seven iron driver and putter. But if they said, oh, you can't use a putter. That's going to tur- change the game. So I just think that's how I that's how I feel. Just genuinely sharing for the first time in dentistry 
and that strategizing to return is important. But like you had said, you know, we just really have to be focused on how do we open up dental offices safely? What does that look like? Not shrink away from the question because it's uncomfortable. Because as you said, if we don't answer it, Rob said, people are going to answer for us and it's going to be a worse answer. Yes. This last thing about that, then I promise I'll shut up. But when we, uh, you know, there's this old saying that uh, information is power. And I don't believe that that's true. Uh, knowledge is power. I don't think so. I think that in, uh, information is powerful to the extent that it is limited to the hands of the few. Information is powerful to the extent that is limited to the hands of the few. We cannot all make a fortune doing the same thing. It is a mathematical imp impossibility. This is what a free market destroys. It smooths the cycle. So we can't all make money opening lemonade stands in front of our houses. It's just not possible. So the reason that I share this with my private clients and so forth is that when, if we can act on this, if we can be the holders of this scenario and gamify it, map it out, who will be best prepared for the turn when it comes? It's not going to be the people that are bringing last year's plans into next year's needs. So, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, it's a, very seldom is, it, is, is the middle of the conga line the place to be in anything, you know? You're um, right. <laughs> that's yeah. great. But, but it's interesting. So, I mean, from a strategy standpoint, though, I'll start. What, you know, what would people be thinking about doing? You know, are we talking about looking at how your office is staffed, how many operatories you have? You know, do you have less hygienists? Do you have leaner, you know, payroll, more technology, less technology, or is just everything on the board right now? Yeah, there's so much that will be revealed with the passage of time. You know, the only antidote to uncertainty is time. It's the only thing that we have, uh, followed closely by action, being acting on what we do actually know. So I can see a migration toward uh, maybe something more in the order of a concierge-type dentistry for high-end people that were maybe previously doing fee-for-service stuff, where we can assure certain levels of, of uh, uh, sanitation and, and clarity and so forth, um, cleanliness and safety. Uh, maybe, a, maybe an ancillary offset with more and different products. Uh, the truth is the dentistry in terms of retail products has been quite moribund compared to a lot of other industries. I think there's room there for uh, new lines of income to be created inside dental practices. Uh, more than anything, the challenges are gonna be culturally affirming your team uh, and managing your margins, which of course is always good business philosophy. I put people ahead of everything else in every business I own and it's always rewarded me. Um, but as we continue to look out, I think that there will be, there, there will absolutely be opportunities. They're typically hiding in plain sight meaning that we can't see them right now because we're still living in this, this, this extrapolated trend of an 11-year bull market. Uh, the DSOs, for example, everybody is still pressing on and sure that they're going to get some 15x multiple of EBITDA. Uh, and what the other half of the business cycle tells you is that EBITDA, E-B-I-T-D-A, is BS. It's BS. It's a, it's a preposterous calculation fabricated only in a belt on a buy side uh, euphoric. I mean, this guy, uh, this guy is my <laughs> Well, I want to share something. I know you did, but uh, I want to share a story because you said, what could we do? I did a residency. When I had my residency, I had to follow around a plastic surgeon. And I see a world like this, but I don't know how we get there. So this plastic surgeon would either have consult day or surgery day. 
And I would go to his office and he would do consults and tell people what he was going to do or remove a suture. And then we'd go to the hospital. This is not earth shattering stuff, but his day was segment. His week was segmented. And I see that in dentistry, whether that happens inside of our own offices, whether we do put two or three surgical suites that are only used for this, but I see the, the existing way dentistry was done BCV. And I hope I'm wrong too, Alistair, just like you, but I don't see that way getting to the next, next, uh, part of dentistry because I think like you said legislating around fear you you know when he had his consult day he would talk to you about tummy tucks or mole removal very relaxed he would plan it all out then we would go over to the hospital the next day and do work and I just see that that way of practicing may come into dentistry as a strategy for success yeah, I think that's great. That's a great version of it. I don't have these answers yet, but we, in order to come up with good answers, we need good questions. And I think that there's a lot of them, uh, you know, here that we're, we're chewing on. Uh, and typically those brave enough to ask the hard questions are the ones that will come up with the solutions. I definitely feel optimistic and bullish about, uh, about my practice long-term uh, as I do my veterinary hospital. Um, but it's going to be a, a very interesting and, uh, and challenging time for sure. Uh, in terms of between now and then, uh, I expect that most things will take longer than we currently expect. Uh, there is a lot of the narratives that we're getting are politically driven, whether it's red versus blue or blue versus red. Everybody's, this is an election year, and I think that we're paying a price for that uh, as dentists with a, a premium on stupidity. There's just so much preposterous philosophies out there, and we get into arguing about my person versus your person. This is so much larger than that. Uh, that we really need to elevate the conversation and think about what the epidemiological risks are and know, know that governmental legislative, uh, uh, whatever's unraveled will be, will arrive later uh, and you know, they'll show up late and close the barn door after the horse has fled. So it's up to us to lead. And I think we need to lead with uh, getting in front of and owning, owning and explicitly stating these are the risks to you as the consumer. And if I were in your shoes and I wanted to go to the dentist, here are the things I would be afraid of. Uh, this, this, and this. There is something that I teach and train called second degree acknowledgement, where uh, let's say, Paul, I'm, you're saying to me, well, I don't think I could come in. And you say, I'm afraid of uh, touching any surfaces or anyone being in my mouth. Second degree acknowledgement is the most powerful thing that I could share. It's to say, yes, that's true. And statistically or uh, you know, mathematically, you have every reason to be afraid. Not just that, my mom is afraid of coming to the practice. You go one step beyond basic acknowledgement and you show that your insights are truly in their best interest. Yeah. And yeah. then you systematically, this is called strong manning for those that know debate techniques, you systematically knock off each one of those concerns. So I would be concerned about this and this, and they say, and furthermore that, I, I get in front of you and I say, I'm also worried about this. And they think, wow, I wasn't even worried about that. And why would I do that? Because if I am worried about it, I'm making plans to solve it. That means whatever fears you have, I'm already in front of you. The second degree acknowledgement is incredibly powerful and we can do it right now, right now with our social media feeds. Uh, take a picture of uh, your cleaning supply and say, this is what we are using right now while the practice is closed. Take another picture next week of the new mask, whatever it is, a constant drip of your practice showing that you are out front and there is nothing they could bring that you are afraid of. Whatever it is they think of, you've thought of it already. 
It's so powerful. You know, and Paul, Paul, we've talked about this with several guests over the last year and even, even last week. I mean, you as dentists have the ability to control the communication. You can control and communicate with your patients. You can do it yourself or you could let other people do it for you. So where should patients be getting their information about what's going on now in COVID? Should they be yes. getting it in the newspaper? Should they be getting it on social media? Should they be getting it on network news? Absolutely not. You know, you have the ability to control the conversation, much like we're talking about the bigger level, more macro level with trying to control the discussion as to what dental practices need and why they have special well, needs. You're saying so right, Robin. Your example is great, Alistair. I said one thing you can do is um, take, you know, a curette from your practice and do a video of how it goes from your whole sterilization cycle, something that we think is mundane, something that we think, you know, but now people are going to want to know about this. And it has nothing to do with really COVID or not. It's just how, what do we do to protect you in this practice in a fun way? One, I don't think Vivek is on yet, so we have a couple extra Alistair time. Hey, actually, I have a question, Paul. I, I want to actually sure. ask you a question. So uh, this is probably a longer, a longer answer, but uh, you know, always for me. <laughs> that's okay. We still have time. Uh, you know, uh, before you know all this, you know, the COVID thing hit. I think a lot of owner operators were really resigned to the fact that, uh, or the belief, I should say, because I don't think it was a fact that corporate dentistry was just going to rule the dental world, and there was no space for. Uh, for owner operators and the, really the artisans and the craftsmen of, of the dental world. And I, you know, we see the whole gamut of corporate ownership to corporate ownership in terms of group ownership that's owned by dentists to corporate ownership that's owned by people that own, a, you know, a medical uh, uniform uh, company in the Midwest, a chain of steakhouses on the, on the West Coast, and then they open some, they own some dental practices too. They don't really understand the, the the industry or the space. You know, where do you see that segment of the dental industry going? I'm talking about really just the sheerly the economically interested practice owners, not the ones that were in it to to hold and operate a practice, but to to buy and do the EBITDA, do the multiple, and then flip it. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago we were looking at 18 times EBITDA. Now I've got clients that are in uh, contract to sell for eight and they're excited. Uh, I think that that's, this is a beautiful question. It's a very large one uh, and I'll, a very large and it's critical. Um, I actively advise hedge funds and private, equities, uh, private equity groups as well. And I've watched this phenomenon over the last couple of years. At its core, this is hot money. And I have spent many years seeing hot money show up in many industries. I've seen it in mining, agriculture, uh, uh, of course, mortgages, tech stocks, housing, et cetera, et cetera. The danger here is, again, that claim of that thought of exceptionalism. The exceptionalism leads to pain. Anytime that we're sure there's something about us that's unusual, this hot money is new to dentistry, but it's not new. And so I've seen this movie so many times, uh, and it, it ends badly for those that arrive late in the cycle. Uh, the issue here is that this uh, COVID-19 crisis is turning into, just as I've been warning for seven months, turning into a credit contraction crisis. And as credit contracts, corporate borrowers and corporate lenders will evaporate. This is going to mean that all of those DSOs that are so woefully, uh, excuse me, uh, PE groups that are so woefully uh, uninvested emotionally and experientially in dentistry will walk away. 
the securitization of dentistry practices is much the same as the securitization of commercial jetliners or mortgages or houses. Uh, hot money tends to arrive late, overpay, and leave fast. And this is where it is in the boneyard of, these, of this damage that we are going to be able to extract unbelievably uh, great opportunities for those of us that are actually playing the long game. Uh, so then that's it. an act of, we should talk more because I have a ton to share. Good, 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 good. Rob said the same thing to me about that with the DSO. So now that you said, I believe you now, sir, when Rob said, I was like, I'm not so sure, but I now- I told you, Paul. Paul, we say it, come on, I told you, know, you so. Right? Exactly. You know, Nobody listens to you. you didn't listen to me. Justin Weaver didn't listen to me. Now, now I can say that Alistair McDonald said so. Now everybody's going to listen to me. Because, you know, we're in it together, right? Let's yeah, like, take arrows, Rob. Thank you for the validation. <laughs> I'm grinning here the whole time, smirking Alistair, as well. Alistair, how do people get in touch with you? People loved your content. People were saying, listen to you. Just like what my wife says to me at night, I could listen to you all, all night. Uh, how do people get in touch with you if they'd like to learn more about what you do? and uh, stuff that you have. And I know you have your own podcast, so feel free to share that too. Yeah, it's a nascent podcast. Thanks. It's called The Third Rail Entrepreneur. Uh, but more than anything, i just a regular person like everyone else. So the easiest way is Facebook. Uh, you can reach out to me there. I'm super easy to find. Um, and yeah, I, I love this stuff. I love these challenges. And, you know, I like all of us here, we get paid to solve problems. Uh, and these are the problems that, that I love to solve. So uh, I love the conversation and it's always a pleasure to speak with like-minded people that are interested in the hard stuff before oh, it is forced cool. upon us. Thanks, Alistair. Thanks a lot. Vivek, good to see you. Thank you so much, Alistair. Thanks a lot, Rob. Great to spend time with you guys. Awesome. Awesome stuff, Rob. Really just great. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really, I think, you know, we're seeing some recurring themes here, Paul. You know, among them is, you know, things are not going to be the same and you're going to have to focus and do things differently probably be creative, get out of the conga line. And you know, what used to happen sort of automatically, uh, you can't assume that that's going to happen. Not only can you not assume, it's just not going to happen anymore. And it's going to be a different world. And the people who are the innovators who are able to adapt and, and figure out strategies that are going to work are going to be the ones that are going to, are going to prevail and, and do well. And, you know, I would encourage everybody out there, you know, be creative, Think outside the box. I hate that expression, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, but, you know, and, and be ready to, to take some swings and a few swings and misses. And that, you know, it remains to be seen after the dust settles what's going to work. And the only way that you're going to find out what's going to work is, to some extent, finding out what doesn't work. And uh, in order to be able to do all that, you have to be paying attention to what you've got going on, your practice numbers, what's happening, you know, behind the scenes and, and with every detail in every aspect of your practice. You just can't mail it in from here on out and expect that you know, the same rewards are going to come in that, that came in before. For sure. And as we get to our uh, awesome next guest, I think this was, I saw this term being used and they say it's a military term called embrace the suck. And I just think that's what dentists need to do when they're not used to doing this. And, you know, I think from our first guest, Kirk to Alistair, that we're just bringing awareness to that this is gonna be painful, but we can get through the pain, but we can't ignore the pain or else we're never gonna get through it. And we have a lot of tough, uncomfortable questions to ask more questions than answers, which I just think is not in the, de the dentists are used to solving problems each day quickly. And this is just not one that we solve quickly. So awesome stuff. And I'll let you introduce our, our, uh, our uh, cleanup hitter guests for this. Yeah, and so uh, as we uh, read his brief bio at the, at the outset, we have Vivek Kenra, uh, who is back on the show. Uh, 
appeared before in the Dental Amigo. So uh, it's great to have you back, Vivek. Uh, thank you, Amigo, for being with us today. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I have to say that uh, um, I'm on the same panel as Alistair McDonald. I think I have arrived, and I think my life is now going to go like this is the apex. Now it's going down. So. <laughs> But now this this could be the big moment though. In fact, this could be what launches. That's true. That's true. It could be like the breakout rally and you know a bull market and you know. <laughs> right, right. You look back, you'll say, man, when I was on the Dental Amigos on April eighth, talk about that COVID stuff. That yeah. was the beginning. You know. Yeah, we'll find out. <laughs> hey, so Vec, uh, obviously, uh, I think the consensus is that things are going to be different and there are going to be changes in the in the profession. I mean, I'm curious. What I hear, we've had. I think probably at this point, seven or eight guests so far last week and this week. But, you know, there seems to be a recurring theme that, an understanding, I guess I should say, not a theme, that it's going to become more expensive to do certain things in a dental office. It's going to be, uh, there's going to be less efficiencies. It's going to be harder and more time consuming and more expensive to, uh, to manage infection control. And that generally a dental office is going to be a more expensive operation to run than it was pre-COVID. So looking at that in the same time when we were dealing with pressure from PPO reimbursements prior to COVID, you know, and now looking around saying, well, if it's going to be more expensive, who's going to pay for this? You know, and, you know, we've talked to David Phelps and there's a possibility, are we thinking maybe the government's going to have to step in and pay for that? Maybe the way that they have with physician spaces, is it going to be something that's passed along to, um, uh, to patients or practices going to have to absorb more of it. I suspect in the short term, insurance companies aren't going to be the ones that are, that are stepping up. But I want to kind of hear kind of what your impressions are and some of the things that you're thinking about and planning for as far as what possible ways PPO reimbursements and just insurance, dental insurance generally could look like and how might it be different after things start to return uh, to normal? I mean, honestly, I have some bad news here, right? A little bit more bad news, right? I mean, obviously things are getting more expensive, you know, people will probably lose jobs, so there's less people that are gonna go in for elective dentistry, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, from my you know, perspective, uh, one of the things I started predicting about three weeks ago, that insurances are gonna get super tight with dental, right? And the reimbursements, all the negotiations we do are gonna start coming to a close and halt. Right. And my speculation was uh, based on purely that majority of the uh, dental insurances that we deal with are really healthcare provider insurers first. Right. And, and true insurance on the healthcare side. Right. MetLife, for example, they're, they're the biggest healthcare provider or insurer in New York. Right. Which is currently the epicenter of all of this stuff. Right. And for when it comes to healthcare, health insurance, there is no. Um, I mean, if you think about it, right, the way these policies are written, after a patient has reached their out-of-pocket maximum, all the risk is taken care of by these insurance companies. And these insurance companies don't price in a pandemic. When they're looking at premiums and all that stuff, this is, you know, business as usual type of stuff. Now, you can just imagine the number of claims that MetLife has to pay out in New York right now for these COVID treatments. And once a person is getting admitted to the ICU, et cetera, these are about $30,000, $35,000 treatment costs on the conservative side, right, that uh, some of these insurers are paying out, right? And it's not going any, away anytime soon. So what that means is these 
healthcare insurance companies like the Aetna's and MetLife and Cigna, uh, United Healthcare, are paying out so much on the health side. Uh, dental is a small aspect, but one of the things they have to do is say, all right, extreme cost-cutting measures, close out everything. And it was funny, I was speaking to a dentist yesterday on a sales call, right? And I was saying that, you know, from my perspective, I think there's a level of urgency for us to get all these applications in that we're working with so many clients, right? That we've got these fee schedules and all that stuff negotiated because I'm concerned that we're going to start getting emails saying no more negotiations. I hung up the phone call with, with this dentist and 10 minutes later, I got an email from Aetna. Right? One, of our, one of my employees posted on our group chat saying Aetna sending no more negotiations, right? And so I fully expect and anticipate, you know, this to kind of trickle down to everywhere, right? And uh, what that simply means is that insurance companies have to, you know, protect their pocketbooks because it's bleeding on the health side. So wherever they can protect, they're gonna protect. And unfortunately, um, you know, dentists at this point of time as well don't have that much of a recourse, right? Because previously you had the Heartlands and the Aspens that were picking up all the new grads. That's also not, you know, quite going to be there because dentistry across the board is not going to, you know, it's a tide, right? The entire, you know, you're going to go through a low, low tide. So private practitioners, DSOs, everyone's getting hurt. So, you, you know, you probably see way more dentists, you know, there's really no incentive anymore for any of these dental insurance companies to, to throw you a bone, right? Which means lesser reimbursements. The only way I can potentially see this um, uh, where the dentist doesn't have to pay for it is there are a couple of companies that offer something called a discount plan, right? Where instead of an in-house membership plan, right? Like you can buy it from Cigna, you can buy it from Aetna. A patient that doesn't have dental insurance, you can actually call them, pay them a premium. And in exchange, you basically get access to dentists that have, uh, they'll give you a pretty severe discount on a cash basis, right? You come over, it's a pure fee-for-service type thing. You show your discount card and the, and the dentist pulls out a fee schedule that's a discount fee schedule and says, well, generally I charge $1,400 for a crown, but since you have this Aetna discount card, it's 900 bucks. But some of those plans allow for some additional fees on top of that. And one of them is called an OSHA fee, right? Uh, which, you know, like one plan, one discount plan that we work with very, uh, very often, they allow you to charge a small 10 to $20 per appointment fee called an OSHA fee, right? I suspect that you know, largely from a, from a legislation standpoint, the best that could happen is insurances won't pay for it, right? There's, they're, they're, they've got more muscle than, than dentists combined, right? The only thing that I think the dentists have a fighting chance on on this is to have some sort of a clause added where there's a small per appointment OSHA fee that can be billed to the patient, right? And then you just say, all right, these are your fees, and here's the $20 per appointment fee called the no-shop, right? Um, that's the only way that I can see that dentists are, are going to be able to get compensated for this. And just so I can orient our listeners, Vivek, so what you've you, you such an awesome friend is possible. You know, you work to negotiate better fees for dentists with PPO profits. So if they were getting $1,100 for a crown and your PPO profit gets them $1,140, they would have a lifetime of getting $40 more. Just curious, and I know that – I'm a JBR type person, which is just be real. So this is, you know, JBN is arguing, you know, PFM versus Zirconia Crown. No one needs to fight. That's JBN. This is JBR, a true, a true once, hopefully once in a lifetime crisis. Do you see that, it is speculative, if people have current insurance fee schedules, do you think they'll be decreased or do you think they'll be able to kind of just ride up with those? 
No, I think they won't be decreased uh, for the vast majority, right? Vast majority of the dentists are on really low fee schedules, right? I've only seen uh, in, you know, just to kind of give you an idea, right? So far, we've worked with about 300 something dentists, right? And it, a lot of people would ask me saying, hey, this fee schedule looks that you negotiated looks awesome, right? But uh, is it real? Like what happens in a year? Can they yank it off, right? And I used to always tell them that it's never happened, but it did happen. You know, uh, recently a, a client called me and said, hey, I had this amazing fee schedule and I got an email saying it's been yanked off, right? And so this, this, uh, the client actually hired my company to actually keep that fee schedule. And then I saw that happening again a second time. Then I saw it happening again a third time, right? So, so now I've already seen it, you know, three times where a very rich fee schedule was, you know, getting pulled back. But 90-something percent of the dentists are, don't have very rich fee schedules. They have very, very low fee schedules. That is a big advantage for the, for the insurance companies. I suspect the insurance companies would just let that ride. And you've been doing, I'm asked Rob, he talked about concierge medicine. Do you see now as a time, I mean, I'm just, just really just, we're having this great chat, right. to move away from utilizing insurance. I know you're a dental practice owner with your wife and just making it like getting your hair done or anything else or you think patients will still want to use insurance? I'm just thinking as an alternative to remove yourself thing. from the insurance market. Total supply and demand, right? Here's the reality, too many dentists, right? Like that's the reality, too many dentists, you know? Now, people can say all day long about, well, you know, there's not enough patients going for dentistry and you need more campaigns for people to drink milk and go to dentist and whatnot, right? I get all that stuff, right? There are ways to get more people to go for you know, dental care more often. But today, in my view, in most of the, uh, at least the metropolitan cities, as well as suburbs of the metropolitans, it's too many dentists, right? Obviously, there are pockets where there's a big need, right? Obviously, you've got this issue of, you know, nobody wants to go there, right, uh, et cetera, right? And that's why there's a need. But look, we're in Chicago, right? Uh, the, this, this is not happening either in Chicago or any of the suburbs where a patient calls and say, I need to see a dentist and I can't find one. And my next appointment is in two months, right? Like really what's happening is, Hey, yeah, let's get you in tomorrow. Right? Like, you know, the, all the consultants are saying, get the new patient in within a week. And most uh, dental offices are largely successful in doing that. Right. And so, and, and here's the thing in 2019, uh, you know, and I don't know how uh, you know accurate this this statistic is. Anecdotally, every insurance company told me they've never seen so many applications, right? Just so many dentists graduating, it's so many applications that they used to the things that they used to tell me that they can do in thirty days is taking ninety days, right? And every time we we squeeze them, they're like, I can't do anything. We're short staffed. It's too much. And during grad time between May and August, it's a heavy time in the in the insurance industry. They call it grad time because you've got all these dentists being graduated and, by, and starting to work for DSOs and they get these credentialing requests, right? These co insurance companies, you know, uh, staff up a bit to account for that, right? For this high demand, it's like tax season for accountants, right? But even after staffing up, this time they just said that it was too much, right? So ultimately you've got just way too many dentists graduating. And when you've got so many dentists graduating, there's only a small percentage right, of dentists who can build that niche market that says, hey, I'm this, you know, amazing hairstylist, pay me this much money. 
90% of the public is still going to sports clubs, right? I mean, that's just the reality. Beck, do you see any scenario where, you know, we were just talking with Alistair, if you heard the end of that, uh, about the fact that, you know, some of the, you know, the hot money private equity players in the dental space, you know, a lot of the people that came in and kind of, you know, flooded the market and maybe suppressed insurance reimbursements for, for other docs. I mean, if there is a large scale exodus by them from the dental space, is there any potential opportunity for, you know, the owner operators who have been sort of, you know, insurance companies been able to treat poorly, that they may have to cater to them. And that so it may not be that bad. Uh, I mean, because I, I guess, to me, I, I wonder, like, you know, who's going to leave the space first, and, you know, and, and how many dentists are going to leave the space or how many dental practices. And if it's a lot of those types of groups, does that potentially provide an opportunity for, uh, you know, for the owner operator? Are you saying when they say leave, are you saying leave dentistry as a whole or leave being contracted with insurances? I think that there are a lot of sort of in investors, we'll call them investors, sure, sure, yeah. private equity groups that came into the space yep. that I don't think they're going to be sticking around for, sure. for the end of, of COVID. So, you know, the owner operators, you know, your wife, Paul, his brother, most of the people are probably on this uh, this, uh, this 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 podcast, this Zoom right now, are people that have an interest and incentive to make it work, right? And so, a lot of the people that are sheerly in this for economic reasons have no blood, sweat, and tears in it. And you know, and when it doesn't make sense for financial reasons, they're out of here. So, but a lot of them, I think, from my perspective, and this is totally uninformed, you see numbers and know the, the reality a lot more than I do. I have always kind of perceived those groups as being the ones who have kind of ruined the party for a lot of the other uh, owner operators, such that if those groups are no longer owning dental practices and they board up their practices, they go out of business, they shut down, they walk away, does that potentially provide opportunity for dental practice owners from an insurance standpoint? I don't know, man. Like, to, I mean, if you think about it, right, the private equity groups are not making dentists, right? The, the dentists were there. Very often the dental practices were there. They've just come out and bought them, right? And, and consolidated them and said, all right, we're going to buy these 10 uh, uh, dental offices, right? Because they get efficiencies and economies of scale, right? Like they have cheaper lab bills, right? With, with muscle, they have, you know, lower supply bills. They very often will have dedicated, uh, you know, call centers, which just happen to be in one office, right? And I talked to a lot of them. They would just say, yeah, we've got nine offices, but one of the offices takes a whole bunch of calls for, for scheduling for all the other offices, right? Everything to do with marketing, right? So a lot of the, the, the appeal for private equity is simply to say, well, each dentist right now is holding a lot of uh, overhead themselves, right? Like they've got, you know, all the everyone is paying eighteen hundred bucks for for Invisalign, right? And and you've got ten of those under a, under a group, and with volume, you know the the price goes down, right? Heartland pays eleven hundred bucks for that, and there's seven hundred bucks of meat now for each Invisalign patient, magically, right? Like you see what I'm saying, right? Like typically you can just buy this and say, now you know we get the same stuff at eleven hundred bucks and great, right? But you take that out, right? 
sure, they'll leave, right? Because now all of a sudden there's not enough uh, uh, population coming in probably and, and there's probably more expensive for PPE, et cetera, right? Um, and so it's no longer as, you know, uh, uh, attractive for them. But even if they leave, unless the practice collapses, that practice still says the dentist still stays, right? Which means the, the total number of dentists being in the market is not being disturbed. It's just that legitimately the dentists are making less money, right? Like that's, I mean, I think you play it however way. I'm, I'm really, I have to say this, right? I'm like really struggling to see, you know, a good, you know I mean? And sometimes you have to be real, right? Like, I mean, if, if, if we're being real, right? I mean, the, the reality is it's low tide, right? Yeah. You're, you're, it's low tide. We're not gonna say the big ship is gonna be still okay, right? Um, and so the only thing is obviously, right, the, a lot of the things that you know, dentists can do is obviously damage control. There is a plus side to it just overall, right? I mean, and, and I'm looking at it, right? Like over the past one year, I probably had kind of just not lost control of the dental office, just given up control, right? Like it didn't matter to me, right? Like I was busy with PPO profits and verific, right? And there was a lot of creep of just expenses that just cracked in. You know, our office was doing well, right? So it's like, all right, let's just add this to you. It's okay, right? Oh, let's do this, right? And some of the things that we added were, you know, obviously for, uh, you know, if you can think about it right back uh, in 2019, it was really difficult to attract talent, right? Like super challenging to attract talent. What that did was increased wages, right? We basically, you know, put in everything, a 401k with matching, right? Uh, health insurance plans, et cetera, because that allowed us to attract really good people. But that also comes at a cost, right? And the problem is when some of these costs creep in, very difficult to get rid of them, right? But an event like this sometimes allows you to, allows you to recalibrate. So one of the things, for example, I'm doing, right? Uh, just right now, like yesterday I was doing it, just taking a look at the, uh, you know, I basically started bookkeeping myself, right, in our practice, because I have to like look at every single entry that's coming in from my bank into my QuickBooks or zero, right? I'm looking at that and I'm saying, hmm, what can I do about this? And legitimately, one of the things I did is I changed my profit and loss statement, okay? This, I mean, I, I'll happily share it with anybody else as well, to make it very simple. You know, obviously that, you know, you've got the revenue, you've got the cost of goods sold, which is your labor and and in supplies that you can't live without. And then I created into categories, mandatory expenser, right? Like license, right? You have to pay the license fee, right? I mean, you can't practice without it. And then I have a different group called, you know, non-essential services, right? And then I have another group called, you know, services that should get cut, right? And so each of my uh, entry that's coming in from my bank or credit cards is falling into that category, right? And it's giving me a very clear picture saying, hmm, do I really need that? And very often I'm looking at that saying, our dental office is running without it. Yes, cut it, right? Like, and so uh, that's probably the silver lining in me that it, this will probably allow the dentist to really squeeze in to, to get that minimum cost that they can get to to run an effective dental office. Now, I also believe that as things go, right, you know, as these things improve, you've got to change it. But, you know, we had an answering service, for example, right? It's pretty expensive, 
the answering service. What we did now is change the voicemail, and this was even pre-pandemic, right? I was looking at that even before, right? And it's now like, all right, you know, you've got 90% of the dental offices, you know, without an answering service, we don't really need it. Change it to a voicemail saying, you know, you can shoot us a text, right? Or go to our website and you can schedule an appointment through local med, blah, 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 right? So we've got hey, that. Vivek, you made, I'll do that to my dental practice, but not my snack consumption. I can't handle that. That's, that's too, but you, you really done Rocky Four to your dental practice there and going back to bare bones. Um, I wanted to ask a question from our audience because okay. about your insurances. Um, do you see any transition to hospital-based dental offices in light of what you said of the medical insurance being involved or is that unrelated? You know, so uh, very, very, no, I have a personal viewpoint there and I actually, um, um, you know, if I, it's almost like which side do I look at it, right? In my view, hospital-based dental offices make a lot of sense, right? Like from a whole society economic point of view, right? It makes sense to me that every dentist isn't putting so much money in an overhead, right? Like, just imagine you've got a dental office and you bought yourself a $80,000 cone bean, right? And you've got a dental office a block from there who has also bought an $80,000 cone bean, right? That cone oh, bean gets used. You get a cone beam, I get a cone beam. Everyone gets a cone yeah, beam. Yeah, exactly, right? Cone beams. But how <laughs> often is that? Cone beam is law practice. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So, but just think about it. How often are these cone beams, uh, cone beams being used? The reality is if both those dental offices combine, you would not need two cone beams, right? It's just, right? And there's so many things of that. So I suspect that it probably makes a lot of sense because especially in the healthcare setting, you already have a lot of infrastructure, right? I mean, things like gloves and masks and all that stuff that exists, right? And, and uh, it, it would make sense. Would it happen? Uh, I don't know. It'll probably be a very, very slow transition, right? Like everything, you know, in healthcare uh, in this country moves exceedingly slowly, right? Because of a lot of legislative pressures and all that stuff. And to be quite honest, if that happens, would it be good for the dentist? Probably not, right? Like it's for the independent dentist, you know, I don't think, I mean, the reality is, uh, right? Like dentistry is one of the only few professions that remains where, when you have a dentist that graduates, there is a, uh, you could, you know, open a business, right? right? The only other, right, like pharmacy doesn't exist like that anymore, right? It's just corporate uh, medicine. It's doctors very rarely are in private practice themselves now. There it's also just, could be, I see this, I've said this before, pre-pandemic too, is that there's a, there's a middle ground of like a surgery center for dentists. I've said, build a building with four dentists who are owners, you know, have all this operatory, have a bunch of operatories, have a cone beam, but you know, dentists traditionally don't get along well, maybe they'll have to change that. As you have, I wanted to ask you a question as more putting on your, you know, leading your dental practice and your wife. So nothing happens unless we're allowed to do dentistry. None of this matters until we can open up again. Where, do, where in your, I know you're just such a, a well-read guy and you, you, like the PPE issue and the things that we have to do to our practices, where do you see that going for us to be able to reopen like opening day? So here's my, Here's my belief of how uh, logically it'll have to happen, right? And how it should happen, right? First of all, I think, you know, obviously it's still too early, right? Once April is over, I do feel that the conversation now should be, if you have already tested positive, right? And if you've tested positive for antibodies, right? You get to participate in the economy, 
do what you need to do, right? Like, because if you think about it, right, the, the, unless we find out that the rate of reinfection is really high and it's blah, 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 right? But beyond that, go back, uh, do what you need to do. You know, then I would probably say if the curve has gotten flattened to a point where the hospitals are not facing the shortage of ventilators and ICU beds and masks, et cetera, right? Then at that time, I think, you know, we say 20 to 35-year-olds, go do what you need to do. And from a dental standpoint, I don't think much should change with that because the more information, in fact, on, on dental nachos, uh, you know, I think um, Timothy Pruitt put a very, very valid point. Right? And you're saying, why are we talking about all this stuff that like we don't want to get the virus? If the vaccine is so far away, right, then the idea of flattening the curve was never to not get the virus. It was just so that we all get the virus at the different times, so it's manageable, right? And so I actually, more I think about it, I don't know if it makes sense to like make the dental office so stringent with PPE that, you know, you're, you're over the top. I think it just normal, maybe N95 masks, right? Uh, and, and I'm not a dentist, so I don't know how uncomfortable those things are, but I'm told that they're not very comfy, right? Yeah, it's uh, hard, they're, hard. they're not really a practical solution for a whole day. And right. I, I, like you said, we, you did leave, leave off at age 35 there, so all the, the three of us are, are, are beyond that. Speak for yourself, But no, but, the, you know, but, but that's why we said to Alistair, you know, like, it's almost like dentistry is allowing this impossible standard to be imposed on them. You know, totally. that, you know, like it has to be perfect. We can't possibly be in an environment and bring our patients into an environment where there's even a scintilla of chance. And, and, you know, as I asked before, you know, none of this was an issue with H1N1. None of this is an issue with influenza every year. I realize this is different. However, now all of a sudden there's this like expectation of perfection in a dental office. Like that can't be. You know, and well, it's not with our procedures, Robin. Maybe you, like you're the you're our uh, uh, attorney on this call, on this podcast. It's like we have informed consent for not being numb after wisdom teeth. Are we gonna have informed consent for going into a dental office in COVID? Or we have informed consent for our did, employees. Did you have informed consent last flu season? Uh, we don't have one well, for last flu season, but like what Alver, Alistair said, it's a lot of it fear based. So sure. I dealt with fear though my whole life with patients. I mean, you do too, Vivek. We, we can't pretend that patients don't ask us stuff that scares them. We just have good answers to it. That's well, what I'm just But, but here's the thing. Like, this, this is where it comes in, where it's so important for dentists to be controlling and, and dictating the conversation, either, you know, at, at, a, at a macro level with, at, at a government or, you know, ADA state, you know, board level, or in with your patients, you know, and, and, and educating them and, and setting expectations properly and making them feel okay. You know, like everybody in the world right now is scared, you know, and, and sometimes it's justifiable and sometimes it's not. We just so, need really good guidance from OSHA and the CDC like we have for everything else. So when HIV came, they said do X, Y, and Z to limit this. We just need the A, B, and C for this as providers. And we don't have that answer today. Hopefully we'll get it as it moves along. Dennis speculating that it's not going to be different than it is now, Vivek, I just think is wishful thinking right now, which I hope turns into realistic thinking. But just like they went through with HIV, they didn't use gloves before that. Now they use gloves. My own father would say that all the time. Dentists who are on here who are gads work without gloves. Now they work with gloves. That was a seemingly, or that is a seemingly adjustable change, right? You wear gloves, you don't wear gloves. I'm just curious what it's going to be for us. Well, I, I fully, well, not only, I fully agree that there should be informed consent today for COVID, right? Like, because you have to understand from, 
an entire narrative. We, the, the whole, the only way for this economy to open up properly is to start making this narrative more about, we have flattened the curve, right? And I'm going to paraphrase in a very, very dumb, simple way, but hopefully you realize I don't mean it that way. But it's like, all right, curve is flattened, hospitals are ready, go get the virus, right? Like, that's the, right? But right now, take a small subsection. You guys, if one of you go get the virus, we have these protocols, we have this thing, if you get serious, blah, 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 right? And, and then start downplaying playing it a little bit. For, for realities, for 20 to 35 years old, the risk is obviously far lower, right? Like it's not zero, it's not negligible, but it's much lower, right? And so now if you've got a, a small section of the population that's generally young and healthy, right? That has been now being told, hey, you may catch the virus, right? And if you catch the virus, Hospitals are not overloaded anymore. If it gets super serious, these are the protocols in place. You got to do this, right? The reality is, you know, I think every business, you know, especially in healthcare, should have the informed consent saying, yeah, you can get the virus here, right? Like here. But remember, but if the government is saying, hey, it's okay, right? If you're young and healthy, it's okay. You're going to be down with the flu type symptoms for a little bit. If it gets serious, we've got the protocols in place, et cetera, we're going to take care. Will it be perfect? No. Will some young people still die? Yes. Right? Like there's, I mean, we can't, we have to still be real with that, right? But there, you're, it's ultimately at this time an exercise in risk management, right? It's risk management of the people and the risk management of the economy and risk management just overall long term because you obviously cannot stop the economy until there's a vaccine, right? That's purely non, right? And, and all of us, even the, even the staunchest supporters of a national lockdown for a long time, which I am, Right. I would have preferred that there's a national lockdown coordinated across the states for some time, take the pain early on and then come up with a gradual plan to come up. Right. But even with folks who are in that, I don't think believe that we a, a, a lockdown or very strict protocols uh, of how you interact with each other are tenable until there's a vaccine. Right. I don't. So I, I'm with you with normal life. And I think I've, we've all signed check boxes for rides and different things that we would, all these things could happen to us. And Rob uses a ski lift example, how he doesn't look at the ski lift ticket. I just also have been on the receiving end of 17 questions from a mother about whether we're gonna use composite or amalgam back in 2007. So that's just, now I'm just drilling into my dental office world, different than my outside world. And I'm just hoping that we can get some guidance slash verbiage slash scripting for the questions that will rain down upon us from patients to us. The reality is like, here's the, I mean, you're going to have some dental office that are going to be opportunities, opportunists, right? Like you could have a dental office that basically has all of these HEPA filters, you know, spacesuit looking type, you know, PPE, right? The, 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 you know, the holistic dentistry type of setups, you know, when people are doing all these like, you know, uh, murky removals, right? and start advertising, I suspect that it will fully happen, right? We've got all this thing, and that will indeed make patients feel safer, right? Like, and, and if someone comes to you, for example, and you're like, well, you know, it's 98%, you know, uh, safe, we don't really need to do all of that stuff. There's going to be a section of the population that's going to say, yeah, I'm not worried, right? People like this exist today as well, right? Like, I mean, I still talk to people saying, I want to do what I need to do. If I get the virus, I get the virus, right? But then, 
other people who've got kids or taking care of the elderly will go to a dental office like that, right, in my view. And uh, I don't know the people who are so paranoid. I don't know what you can answer for them. I think this is going to track similar to implant dentistry. When implant dentistry was invented, they would only do it in the operating room. And then they bring it out into the offices and surgical suite and people would wear hats and do all this stuff. And we found years later that it can kind of be treated like any other dental procedure with a little more attention to sterility. I mean, you guys is, but people forget what implants were like when I was trained. It was a 20 minute process to get ready to walk in and do the implant, which didn't have any real evidence base to it. It was just how we felt. I see a similar thing happening here with a reactivity initially that maybe tempers off over time, but it's just to me a little bit of a different animal than what we face, but I'm looking forward to trying to find solutions, but hopefully still people want to ask these hard questions because as we, this theme is, if we don't answer, people are going to answer it for us. Exactly. And, and the only thing I would say is that, you know, if I'm looking at it from our practice standpoint as well, I think this is going to be a very difficult narrative for us to, to get across saying the risk isn't there, right? Like we are, you know, normal business as usual. It's not a big deal. I think even if we know that the risk isn't that much, right? Having said that, in dentistry, there's definitely greater risk. There's, you know, like theoretically it makes sense, right? And the evidence will come later, the data will come later, but logically it's telling us that, you know, a dental place is not going to be the safest, right? For, for everything with aerosols moving around, right? But, uh, but I, think the, I think the dentist will need to basically embrace the fear and take steps to get rid of that fear. Yeah. And this will not be uh, good enough saying, oh, the normal mask is 98% effective, it's okay, blah, blah, blah. I, I like that. Thanks, Vivek, for sharing all this. Yeah, well, thanks, Vivek. It's great having Thanks so much, guys. Great amigo. Take care. Another great lineup of guests here, Robin, sharing awesome insight. Yeah, uh, really good stuff. I mean, it's just, just this is why we're doing this. You know, we've, we've had a bunch of people with very different sort of outlooks and ideas about what things are going to look like. And, you know, hopefully all of our attendees and listeners are thinking about this stuff. And, you know, there are uh, recurring themes with all of this that you're going to have to be more focused on, on what's going on in your office, be more purposeful. I think universally our guests have said that. And, you know, Vivek, you know, wrapping it up here at the end, you know, he is, he's not a dentist, but he's very involved with his, uh, his wife's practice. He's looking at the numbers you know, at a very, very, you know, micro level and, and, and looking at what, what he needs to spend and what he can't. And it's an exercise that, you know, you're going to have to go through now. And, you know, things were rolling along, even when they seemed like they weren't going so great, they were going along pretty well, you know, recently. And now I think everybody's going to have to realize that there's a big shift coming and you're going to have to think of new ways to be relevant, uh, focus on the little things, be creative, and, you know, from my perspective, everything's on the table right now. Yeah. And, you, know, I, you said that avail yourself all resources. Officially, uh, JBN has been changed. Paula said this to JBR, just be real, because this is the time for just being real. So uh, really, really great, Rob. Uh, thanks for doing this. Really just, uh, I, I helps me hear an insight from all these awesome people and just what they're going through too. Yeah, I love it too. And thanks to, uh, to all our guests. And uh, it's great that we, you know, they were happy to come on and, and share all their thoughts. And, We'll be back again next week with the third installment with another uh, great gang of uh, impressive dental industry guests. And 
my guess is we're going to hear some different ideas and some different outlooks. And I'm part I'm three. Gonna... Brandon from my team is going to see if he can get Mr. T for, for part three. That was Rocky three. So Clubber Lang. See if Clubber Lang is available, Brandon. Um, All right. Thanks, everyone. Be well, amigo. Thanks, guys. And I saw a couple of quick comments here to wrap up uh, from one of my favorite gads. In-house membership programs, I think, are a great thing to continue to use because that's, you know, less insurance dependent. And there was a question about practice valuations. My, uh, my honest, natural opinion is I think they will go down when dentistry reopens and you're going to need to work your practice and see what you do for the first quarter, first six months to see where that valuation is. That's just what makes sense. And that's what I think banks are going to be looking at, too. Yeah, lenders are telling us that, you know, that they're going to have to see some sort of track record now. It doesn't necessarily have to be a long one, but they need to see that not only the doors open again, but patients are coming back. But all this is subject to change, you know, and, um, you know, I think I forget who said earlier on, you know, that every uh, every day is a week. I feel like every day has been a month, honestly. Yeah. And so um, if we're still weeks and weeks away from getting back from a society standpoint, back to some sort of more sustainable, functional uh, way of operating, then, you know, there are a lot of twists and turns that are coming here in the dental world. But, you know, here's the thing, Paul, uh, I didn't see a whole lot of action on dental nachos this week with people reaching out to the ADA and asking what the ADA and the state dental associations are doing to lobby the government to understand the special needs of dentists. And I will tell you again, folks, you're listening, you know, talking to each other about this, and commiserating is not going to get it done. Totally. You know, yeah, you got to put pressure on these trade groups. You know, they they were able to operate for you know maybe I don't know how long centuries maybe in some cases without having to deal with this kind of stuff. They they need there need to be different ways of approaching things for them, different people possibly, different jobs, and and there's a different role that they now play. They have to shift gears too. The the health of the profession and the future of the profession depends on it. Very much so. Reach out. Kindly annoy people like we talk about, guys. And uh, join us next week on, on Wednesday. Thanks to the awesome Nacho team for hanging with us and doing this. Thanks, Rob. We'll check yeah, thanks, in. Rob. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with The Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on thedentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.